1: All right, folks are already queuing up. It is that time of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for you to ask questions about anything you like. If you have questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice on any subject, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, or anything else you can think of, I will do my best to answer your questions 800-848-9222. And whoever comes up with the best prize, best question, we're going to award a, a little prize to. That uh, that judgment is purely subjective. It's done by a committee of uh, Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and yes, Kenneth, it is once again time for
0: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything.
1: Whatever your question's about, now is the time. Let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete.
2: Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank, do you consider Commander Riker a pretty good card player from what you've seen on Star Trek?
1: I would say so, yes. Is that and, who, and uh, oh, go ahead. Well, is that the whole question?
3: Yeah, that's it. I was just considering you consider as like his his play, his
2: his it's demeanor. Yeah,
1: yeah, kind of stuff. I, I think so. I mean, look, it's tough to judge because it's a fictional show, but I I would say uh, I would say that he's a very good card player, and I think Data is a very good card player as well. Uh, but uh, look, it's tough when you're dealing with real world skills, and poker is a skill on a fictional show because they write out all the scenarios in order to further the development of certain characters. So it's a tough question to answer, but I would say, yes, I do consider Riker a very good player. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Harlem. Hello, Peter.
4: Yes. Hello, Frank. I have a question for you. Uh, You know, America has a sordid history and we've never had a Jewish president or an Italian president. Has there ever been a time in your pursuit of your career that you felt you were discriminated against because you were italian i don't hang up and listen
1: uh, i don 't think so honestly um, there have been people that have made a lot of you know off color remarks about me being Italian, but none that i 've ever felt have cost me a job or have cost me an opportunity or anything like that. I have a tendency to speak a lot with my hands. And a lot of people have uh, ascribed that to my Italian lineage, and maybe that's true. But no, I- I've never I've never felt that way. I- I don't, I've never gotten too upset when people have made an anti-Italian remark to me, as long as it's in good fun. Um, you know, th- there are certain Italian slurs that I really still – and I'm not somebody that gets offended at much. But there are certain Italian slurs that I do bristle at when I hear people mention them or use those terms, even if they're meant in – it not meant in an offensive manner, and I, and I try to always understand that people don't mean it to be offensive, but it is, I don't know, I do, I, 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 again, I don't get offended, but I, I just still kind of cringe whenever I hear people mention this term or that term to apply to Italians. But no, I've never really felt that uh, I've been the victim of uh, ethnic discrimination at all. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Michael in Brooklyn. Hello, Michael.
5: Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, Two quick questions about the Ferry Hawks game tomorrow. One, do you have to be vaccinated to go? And two, what time should people get there in order to see everyone from the cast before Uh, the game? Great
1: questions, both. No, you don't have to be vaccinated. And two, uh, my understanding is the exhibition game will start at 4.30, but warm-ups for that exhibition game will start at 4. So uh, I think as long as you're there by 4.30, you'll get to see us uh, play the NYPD. So I think, um, I think you know, if you want to get there 4, 4.30, I think that's probably a good time to get there. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Colorado. Hello, Mike.
2: Hey Frank, thank you for taking my call. Good to be with you again. Um, So, my question tonight, I wanted to ask you: um, Growing up, what were some of the radio stations you listened to the most, and
1: why? Well, what age are we talking about?
2: Like, um, probably like uh, teenage years into early
1: adulthood. Okay, so teenage years into early adulthood. So, I'm gonna say um, teenage years into early adulthood. It was WABC. And uh, probably either WOR or WEVD, which was 1050 AM, which had a lot of great uh, personalities on it. Uh, At different points in my career, when I was a little younger, before I was a teenager, I was an obsessive baseball fan. So my two favorite radio stations were WFAN and WABC. At other times, you know, when Tom Likas was on WEVD, WNEWFM 102.7, I would listen to every hour of the Tom Likas show. I even stopped listening to the last hour of Rush Limbaugh's show because I was just so obsessed with Tom Likas. And what they would do on the WNEW FM show was the first hour of Lycus's show was the last hour from the day before. But I was just so in love with listening to Likas – that I would listen to that first hour even though I had heard it the previous day. So for whatever that was, maybe six, seven, eight months, that Lycus was on WNEW-FM, that was one of my two radi- favorite radio stations because of that. Obviously, you know, I was a big fan of Howard Stern's show when he was on terrestrial radio, but um, that was the only show on that station that I ever listened to. So as soon as Howard would go off, and back in those days they did what what I would do if I owned that radio station— they would let Howard go as long as he wanted. If he wanted to go to 11, they'd let him go to 11. If he wanted to go to 11.30, they'd let him go to 11.30. And so, uh, but b- when that show was over, my listening to uh, WXRK was, was kind of over. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Chris in the Catskills. Hello, Chris.
2: My name is Chris, and I'm a talk radio addict, and I'm very selective about the program I listen to on a regular basis. But I'll listen to and sample a large plethora of talk radio hosts. And in that regards, the comments that Billy from Long Island City made the other night are so salient on several levels. When Greg Kelly talks about January 6th, it is not only bad for Trump, but it is bad for ratings. I turn my radio off immediately. And, you know, I think if Greg had his brothers, he'd make January 6th a national holiday. So on that very topic, I phoned into Greg Kelly about maybe two and a half, three weeks ago, and I, I suggested that I had a, a, an idea to improve his show, that it would be half an hour shorter. So my question to you, Frank, is that if this idea was presented to Chad Lopez, do you think he would have Curtis come on? from 12.14 to one thirty, and then have Greg Kelly start at one thirty to 3. I, I
1: don't think so because Greg's numbers are very good. Uh, Greg, you, you may take issue with some of the content on his show or some other people may, but his numbers, as I understand it, I'm not privy to all the ratings information from every hour, but as I understand it, Greg is doing great, so I don't think they're looking to make any changes, as certainly none that involve reducing the amount of time that Greg is on the air. 800-848-9222. Troy is in Babylon. Hello, Troy. Hey, Frank, what's good? Um, right now, there's 60 million, 60 million people on warfare in, New York, in uh, the
3: United States. Can you make it to uh, get the John Casmatis uh advertise YouTube channel as a
1: radio station? Wait, I, I, you lost me. I, I'm, I didn't understand any of what you just said. Please.
3: Is there any way, I said right now there's 60 million people on Wall Street in the United States. Is there any way I get John companies to advertise my YouTube channel on the radio station? It's
1: called Wall Street Growth. Well, I think so you just YouTube did, right? Wall Street Growth, right? That's the YouTube channel? YouTube.com, yeah, Wall Street Growth. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, if, I think if you want to promote your channel on the radio station with any regularity, you'd have to buy some ads. That's kind of what we do here. So I, I would encourage you to buy some advertising for your YouTube channel or anybody else that has a YouTube channel that they want to promote. 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield. Hello, Igor.
3: Hey there, Frank. Hey, regarding Chris Cuomo signing out with News Nation, a twofold question with your experience in media. One, how much study do you think and how much polling that they did to understand his negatives and positives? And secondly... If, in fact, he would draw roughly 2 million viewers a night at CNN, even if some small fraction of extraordinarily dedicated fans go to his the news nation to follow him, do you think it's worth them uh, signing him from a business perspective? Well,
1: so he – first of all, I don't think he ever drew 2 million viewers on CNN. So uh, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, they do two million viewers a night on Fox News. As uh, Chris Cuomo was on a good night, he would do half that. Uh, So in terms of polling, I don't think there was any polling. And uh, I think that uh, it really depends on what they're paying Chris Cuomo. So, look, they get about 50,000 viewers a night now. I would think they're going to get a big pop at the beginning for people to tune in just to see how it is out of curiosity and and then I think the content will largely drive whether he retains viewers or not. But let's say Cuomo gets 100,000 viewers. That would be a, a fraction of what he did at CNN. That's still double what News Nation is doing in prime time. So unless they're paying him, uh, I don't know, $2 million a year, which would be a lot, I think. Um, if they're paying him less than a million and a half a year, if he can double their numbers with one show – I think that probably is a good business decision for them. Uh, again, the question is the damage that it does to their brand. Chris Cuomo is really a, you know, a left-wing pundit, a democratic pundit I'll say, not even left-wing, a democratic pundit, and the whole News Nation brand has been built not around punditry, but around covering the news and being fair to everybody. So do they damage whatever credibility they're trying to build? By putting someone on like that. And what kind of show is Chris Cuomo going to do? Is he going to do a show like he did on CNN? If so, that would be a pretty significant departure from everything that News Nation is doing. If he doesn't do the kind of show that he was doing on CNN, if he does a show more like what Dan Abrams or Ashley Banfield is doing, does that mean that a lot of the folks that used to tune in to Chris Cuomo are not going to watch him on News Nation? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I I don't think... um, I don't see, I've never thought, I've seen the appeal of Chris Cuomo. See, there's certain people, like, if you're on this radio station, um, people are going to listen to you because it's such a powerful radio station, right? Now, I'll give you a perfect example Curtis Sliwa. Curtis and I were at uh, WABC for years until 2010, and then he went across town to another radio station, and he was there, and I was there with him for four years. Now, Curtis's numbers went from being about a five share to a 0.6 share. And that was an improvement for the radio station that we were at. Now, what happened? Did Curtis forget how to do a radio show in the, in the months that he went over there? No, he was doing some of the best radio of his career. It's just sometimes if a station doesn't have an audience, it's very difficult to build one. Now, if you come into a station that already has an audience... And you can, you can build on that. That's something that is certainly worth applauding, and it's certainly something that can be done. You look at the best example of that is Tucker Carlson on the Fox News Channel. Megyn Kelly and Bill O'Reilly had built a big audience at 8 p.m. on the Fox News Channel. You've seen other people um, who have tried to duplicate the success that they've had on Fox News or other stations and go elsewhere. And they haven't been able to do that. So I don't know which category Chris Cuomo is going to fit into, to be honest. eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222 Let me say hello to Bill in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Oh, uh, How you doing? I read this book,
3: Laptop from Hell. And Hunter, he's always getting full of crack and going crazy and sending emails to people, right? Now, my question is... If Hunter Biden were a character on The Sopranos, what season would we would (laughs) would they whack him on? Uh, That's a good question. How many seasons would he last?
1: You know, um, I'm guessing he'd be like a Ralphie type, right? So I'm thinking maybe season three or season four. I I see him being a one-season character, like a Richie Aprile. Like a Ralphie Zaffaretto, something along those lines. 800 848 But who knows? It's, uh, that's interesting. One open line if you want to jump on board. 800 John is in Yorktown. Hello, John.
6: Hi, Frank. How are you? Um, I was wondering if you know what the largest single mass lynching in the American history was.
1: Yeah, it was uh, 1891 New Orleans.
6: Yes, it was uh, the murder of 11 Italian-Americans uh, and immigrants and that's correct, New Orleans, Louisiana. A lot of people didn't know that. Yeah, you know? I think, you know, it gets
1: repeated so often, especially around Columbus Day. I think most of the people that listen to this, uh, this station probably do know it. And, you know, just in the future, I don't really love doing trivia questions for this hour because let's say I didn't know that, right? So the, the conversation is still over. Right, I mean, either you know it and, okay, all right, now we know it, now let's move on, or you don't know it, and, all right, I'm an idiot because I don't know it, and it's your opportunity to show how smart you are. You know, isn't it better to ask an open-ended question that has some room for, I don't know, some exposition or something along those lines? 800-848-9222, two open lines if you want to ask a question on any subject. Let me say hello to Ethan in Rockland. Hello, Ethan. Hi, how are you, Frank? I'm well, thanks.
7: My question was about horoscopes, How, what your opinion would be
8: with regards to, like, relations with other people, if you think they have any validity or it's some bogus.
1: Well, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. What's your so, take on that? Uh, I never really gave it much credence, and I've started to look much more closely at it for two reasons, and thanks for the call, Ethan. One, my brother-in-law, who's been on the show a few times, he's an astrologer. And uh, he has made me kind of a believer in different astrological trends. Additionally, I go through just about every day the birthdays, the celebrity birthdays on certain days, right? Uh, Whatever, July 29th, June 30th, whatever. And I'm always amazed at how often people who have similar skills have the same birthday. Uh, People that are – for instance – You know, Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern, same birthday. The two greatest radio talents, I think, in my lifetime. What are the chances they would have the same birthday? I think there's something to that. And you see that a lot. A lot of great musicians have the same birthday. A lot of great comics have the same birthday. A lot of great actors uh, have the same birthday. A lot of great athletes. And so I'm perpetually amazed that people that have similar skill levels and talents... Were born on the same day. Now, my brother-in-law Josh, he's got all sorts of of uh, theories, not only about the day you were born, but what time you were born, where you were born, and he really gets into it. And um, I here what I here's what I don't buy. I don't believe that you can use horoscopes to predict the future. I don't believe that uh, you know you can read the horoscope and say, "Hey, this is a good day for you to be a, uh, to buy a lottery ticket." I don't buy that at all. I do think and people may think I'm crazy, but I have come to the belief that if you're born under a certain sign, you have a certain set of characteristics and that you're maybe more likely to get along with other signs. Than, than certain other ones because of the characteristics that those, uh, those signs share. I do believe that. So I don't think you could use horoscopes to predict the future. I do think you can use horoscopes as an indication of knowing what's going on in your own life, maybe what your strengths are, what you have to work on, and, and so forth. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Maroon 5, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join our Facebook group Uh, on Facebook. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio. Fans and haters, uh, we are in the midst of answering your questions on any subjects as we do our weekly foray into... The Other
0: Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. anything.
1: anything. And whoever comes up with the most creative question or the most interesting question, we're going to give you a complimentary Other Side of Midnight t-shirt too. Uh, that is totally subjective, as judged by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Larry is in. Beth Page. Hello, Larry.
4: Frank, I'm going to preface my question by reminding you about a quote that you come up with very often uh, from Bob Grant. Your influence counts. Use it. Well, about a week ago, you got on the air, and I think you turned that phrase. Inside out and upside down, I think you turned it into my influence counts, and I'm going to abuse it. So with that, do you plan on smearing any more grocery stores since you bought since you bought a bad piece of fruit?
1: T- tune in at 3 o'clock for denunciations, Larry. You never know. You never know who's next. Anybody that crosses me, you could be denounced. That's the incentive that the whole world has to be nice to me. That's all I'll say. 800-848-9222. Bobby is in Queens. Hello, Bobby.
4: Hey, Frank. Hey. Everybody wants to talk about the uh, zombie apocalypse. What are your thoughts on a potential for a robot apocalypse in the future?
1: Well, hey. when you say a robot apocalypse, what do you mean exactly?
4: Uh, you remember the movie I Robot with Will Smith? Uh,
1: vaguely, vaguely, but... Um... What what's your specific question? What would a robot apocalypse look like?
4: You got to look up the robots that they're building in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Military robots. They could fire guns. They're basically indestructible unless you have heavy. You know, yeah, heavy, well, we heavy did heavy a weapon. whole
1: segment on that the other day, Bobby, on the dangers of artificial intelligence. And quite frankly, and I'm not being funny, and this is not shtick. I think this is a very real concern. I actually do think that we are in the very near future going to be in a place where humanity is forced to battle with the very robots that we've created. I mean, you can't create all this artificial intelligence just to be digital and robotic slaves, which is essentially what we've done and given them the ability to kill as we've done with killer drones and not expect that there's going to be some blowback on this. I think there is, there is absolutely reason to fear that uh, we could see a Terminator-like situation or a Cylon-like situation or a situation like with the Kalon on, uh, on the Orville where the very machines that we created come back to hurt us. And I think it was very telling that that chess-playing robot a machine that's designed to play a game that's supposed to be fun and recreational and harmless, it's very telling that that robot broke a child's finger. Now, if a chess-playing robot can do that, what is a robot that's designed to be a soldier going to do? I, I think it, there's a very real cause for concern on that front. 800-848-9222, that's one eight hundred eight four eight. 848 Nine two two two. Let me say hello to Roller in New Jersey. Hello, Roller.
2: Frank, I just want to thank you. You're the only one that talks about the crap game. Uh, you personally, like me. How many people in your life, peeps, your peeps? They, nobody, nobody wants to hear about the crap game. They're not into it. How come? How come society? Like, with my world, I'm, like, the only one that shoots dice. Is that, like, a game that nobody
1: wants to play? No, honestly, Roller, I I think you—and I might say this for other reasons as well— I think you need a new group of friends. I think you need a more fun group of friends that are are able to and willing to shoot dice. I think that some people— Might be a little intimidated by craps because it looks complicated. It's not. It's pretty easy to understand. And I've done a video. If you go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan, and look at the videos that I posted on there. I've done an instructional video on how to play craps, but uh, I don't think that I think a lot of people are just intimidated and they don't, uh, they don't understand the game. But uh, people people really seem to like it. They like the camaraderie of it. They like the convivial nature of it. So I, I think that once people kind of get the hang of it, most of them, unless they're totally averse to gambling, most of them will like it. 800-848-9222. Uh, two open lines. I haven't heard any great questions so far. So if you want to win the prize of a complimentary Other Side of Midnight t-shirt, call in with a, a really interesting creative question as judged by M- Matt Blaze and uh, – and uh, Alex Barnard, and also, of course, Kenneth. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn. Hello, John.
8: Frank, good talking to you as always. Likewise. I have this interesting hypothetical question. Mm.
1: What would you think
8: of a college professor who taught your son Carmine a non-white view of science?
1: What is a non-white view of science?
8: That's a good question. What is it? There is a University of New Hampshire physicist who has said she advocates for a non-white view of science and that she now rejects her idol, the late Carl Sagan, because Sagan was white.
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, it doesn't sound like a kind of professor I'd recommend, but by the time my son is in college, I would trust him to sign up for his own classes and take classes with the kind of professors that he thinks are going to impart him with the most knowledge, to be honest. So, 800-848-9222. Will is in Brooklyn. Hello, Will. Hey there. I have a
8: long-time listener, first-time caller.
1: Ah, welcome aboard. Let's give you your first-time caller uh, fanfare, Will.
9: Um, my question was.
1: Uh... We're sorry. All right, what's your question?
9: <laughs> my question was
2: a uh, favorite movie of yours that came out after 2010.
1: After 2010, huh? Uh, let me. Th- I'd have to give that some thought. Uh, I'm gonna pull up a list of uh of films that came out of a- after 2010. Um. Huh. It can
3: be kids movies It can be kids
1: well I, there are a lot of uh there are a lot of uh of kids movies that I like I'm looking at the uh, not that this is necessarily the best movies, but it will help jog my memory. I'm looking at the films the best picture nominees that came out between twenty ten and twenty twenty no 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 uh, bu- 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 bu. you know uh let's see no no. You if know, you it, say
2: Joker. I'm never listening to this program. No,
1: again. no, it's not Joker. Um, <laughs> you know what? I I really. It's not my favorite though. Um, I like a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, right? So I enjoyed uh, Django Unchained. I enjoyed Inglorious Bastards. I also liked um, in uh, American Hustle. But would it be my favorite in the last twelve years? I don't think that it would be. Jeez, um, ah, uh, it's a it's a very it's a very tough question. I don't know that I could pick. I don't know that I could pick one uh, that. Uh, is, I'd have to think Tarantino about that.
8: Tarantino retired. Is Tarantino
2: going to make another?
1: Uh, I don't know. He says he's going to do. Uh, he says he wants to retire after ten. Right. So uh, I don't know that he's at ten right yet. Is he? I think he's at nine. I think he has one more left. Yeah. So I I would assume that we're going to see at least one more.
8: There's always whispers of Django too.
1: Yeah. I I I wouldn't hold my breath on. Uh, on Django too. What's yours?
8: Uh, Ratatouille, of course.
1: Ratatouille. <laughs> I I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but uh, I've heard good things. Uh, favorite movie after 2010. See, I'm looking at these nominees here. Um, out of the nominees, it might be, it might be one of these Tarantino movies. Mm. See, to me, a favorite film is something that you can watch over and over and over again. And I've never given any of these modern Tarantino films that test. So, I see, that's one I wish I could think about a little bit more. Um, Like Silver Linings Playbook, like American Hustle, like a lot of Woody Allen movies, but could I watch them over and over and over again? I don't know. Ah, Such a good question. Um, I'm going to think on that, and then maybe after the commercial I can... I can think about that a bit more. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. All
10: right, here we go, Frank. Uh, I was watching the Generation Gap tonight, and at the end, the winning family, has they they take the little kid, and this time it was, uh, I think it was like a four-year-old little girl, Kelly Ripper takes her by the hand up to the stage, and she gets a choice. The choice is to pick either a 2022 Ford Edge, or next to it was the little red plastic car with a Mickey Mouse stickers on it and, and some polka dots, and the kid gets to which which one to choose. So the little girl, of course, picked the little the car, the plastic car. So the family's going, oh how cute, how cute, how cute. I said, "You stupid little dope." Now, if that was carbine, <laughs> could you uh, could you actually open look at that? He would pick the plastic car instead of getting you that Ford edge.
1: You know, you- I, I think he might. Um, I think he might pick the plastic car just because I think he would find it easier to put in his mouth. So I think he probably would pick the the plastic car. And uh, you know, I could get over it. He's a kid. You know, he's eight months old. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Um, let me say hello to Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry.
11: Hey, good, good evening, Frank. Forgive my obsession with politics, but um, I, um...
1: This making woman you sick. Is, you see, Larry? What? Nothing.
11: Uh, this woman... Yeah, right. It's getting me sick. <laughs> I hope it's not getting everybody else sick, also. Uh, this woman that's getting poised to run against, uh, AOC. I don't know what year it is. Tell me when she's running. This year. But, uh... Oh, this year, um, <clears throat> She sounds like she has the right stuff. I, I was blown away. She has this down-home charisma. What do you think her chances are def- of defeating AOC are? And do you think AOC is getting ready to abandon her post uh, by complaining about the salary and not being president of the Bronx?
1: Uh, so, no. Uh, so, th- let me begin. Let me answer your first question, Uh, Is uh, no, she has no chance uh, of beating uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I guess that's uh, you know that's um, uh, is that who 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 is that? That's uh, is it Tina Forte that you're talking about? See, she's a Republican, and I'm not even convinced that she's going to win the Republican primary, but she could. But if she, even if she wins the primary, it's a district which is an 85% Democratic district. So not only will Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win, but I would uh, be willing to bet you um, – I would give you 100 to 1 odds, uh, any amount of money you want, that AOC w- is reelected in the fall in that district. Now, as far as your second question – I think there's a very good chance that uh, AOC runs for U.S. Senate in the year 2024 for the seat that's currently occupied by Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, so take that for what it's worth. You call that abandonment or moving up, whatever you call it. I think there's a good chance she runs for U.S. Senate. Thank you. Thank you. And let me know if you want to take that bet. By the way, I'll make that bet with anybody. Any, any, that's, the, that's the easiest money I'll make gambling all year. Uh, I will take that bet with anybody. You want to bet $10, I will give you what's what's 100 times 10. What is that? That's $1,000. i will give you $1,000 if if AOC loses, and you only have to give me $10 if she wins. That's a pretty good deal. Anybody that wants to make that bet, just uh, email me, frank.morano at wavcradio.com. That's frank.morano at WABC Radio.com. You know, I, I'm really trying to think of the best film that I've seen since 2010. It might be, you know what film I really enjoyed, but I only saw it once. So that's why I don't know if it would um hold up if I saw it five times. Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, I enjoyed that film. I enjoyed Parasite. Parasite was a great film. Could I see that twenty, thirty times? I don't know. But I did enjoy that. What what else did I really enjoy? It was a really um most of my favorite films are, are older. Get out I really enjoyed, but I think if I saw that one more time, that would be just enough. I'm never really jonesing to see Get Out. I enjoyed it, but you know, it was okay. It was what it was. Um I don't know. I'm gonna say uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a very challenging question. I'll say one of the Tarantino films. That, there's a lot that I enjoyed. I'm going to say one of the Tarantino films. They're all kind of tied. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 Let me say hello to Mark in Garden City. Hello, Mark. How's
7: it going, Frank?
3: Great. Frank, I wanted to ask you, a couple of weeks ago on John
11: Casamitri's weekend show, he had Al D'Amato, who... Pretty seriously criticized Rudy Giuliani, and I wanted to ask you if you know, did Rudy Giuliani ever respond to that?
10: I don't
1: believe so. Uh, I um, I actually texted Rudy yesterday to see if he wanted to meet for a cigar, and I was gonna I had that on my list of things that I was gonna ask him about. But uh, I listen to Rudy's show pretty regularly, not every day, but pretty regularly, and I didn't hear him respond to it. So I uh, I don't believe that he did. I, I think. You know his attitude with Damato is sort of dismissive, so I don't think he would respond publicly. I certainly didn't hear him respond.
11: Yeah, that could be the case. You know, I tried to listen to his show the, the couple of days following that, and I never heard him say anything about it.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, I listen regularly, including you know. So those remarks were originally from John's weekday show, and then they were replayed on the weekend. And uh, I, uh, I I didn't. I remember listening to Rudy that week. But uh, I didn't hear him mention it at all, and I, I wouldn't expect him to, honestly.
3: I, I really thought that was way over the top. Yeah, no, I Ademato
1: mean, uh, to me, and again, I don't want to speak disparagingly of sure. anybody that goes on on the station regularly, but right. to me, uh, Al D'Amato is very low class. I, I, I view him as a total political prostitute who um, will go where where wherever the highest bidder is, And I think he did some interesting things and some good things when he was in the U.S. Senate and was certainly a hard worker. And he's a hard worker now, and there's a lot to be said for that kind of plain-spoken way in which he carries himself. But uh, i find him to be a very low-class individual. He's not the kind of person that I would ever want to vote for or hang out with, to be honest. I agree
3: agree with you, Frank. Yeah,
1: thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You should see the things that I've seen Aldamato say to people Privately, I mean, the guy—he's—I uh, hate to use the phrase—I view him as a total. Uh, I'm not going to say. I'm not. I'm not going to say. If I if you if I had a couple in me, I would say, but I'm, I'm not going to. I don't want to get myself in trouble here. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Bruce is calling from Central America. Hello, Bruce. Hey Frank, how you doing? Bruce, Frank, where in Central done? America are you?
5: I'm in San Pedro in Belize. I called you a couple of times. It's a small island off the mainland. Wonderful. Okay. Well, what can I do for you?
10: Um, so it's kind of a serious question. You know, I am I lived in New York, in Manhattan, and worked for 30 years. And I moved here. I got disabled out of the ground zero. And I got sick. Sorry. So I moved here because it's cheap. I can live on my social security. And, you know, I'm a big Mets fan, so that was great. Yeah. Right. So um, I was wondering, see, I always go back to New York, Manhattan, because I have health issues and I have back there. But all these stories I hear about, you know, people getting pushed. From, well, I was there when they had the AIDS crisis, the TV, you know, in the 80s. These stories, I worked at Cabrini
12: on 19th Street. I know Manhattan, but I worked downtown, you know, when I had the first
1: bomb. Right, so, and, so what's your question, Bruce? Because yeah. I just want to try and get to some other people as well.
7: Oh, you, know, you think it's safe to
1: come back? I mean, yes, you know, yes. You know, I did a whole... Commentary on this yesterday. Um, Yeah, the the answer. I I, look. uh, New York has a lot of problems. No question about it. I love the city. Uh, Hey, same here. New York has a lot of problems. Tourism is going to be up two hundred percent this year. People are coming here from all all over the world, and they would not be coming here if New York was the Wild West that it was being portrayed as by the media. The bottom line is, Bruce. um, New York is a wonderful place to visit. It's a wonderful place to live. Does it cost too much? Yes. Is crime going up? Yes. But crime is still far lower now than it was 20 years ago. And New York was a great place to live 20 years ago. It was a great place to grow up when I was growing up here, even though crime was a lot worse. So is New York trending in the wrong direction? Probably. Probably. And uh, I'm as disturbed as that by anybody. But if you look at the um, in the historical through the broader historical lens of where New York is now in terms of crime, I think New York is still pretty great. We have the best restaurants in the world. The fact that it still costs a fortune to live here is a real bummer if you want to do something like find an apartment or buy a house. But it's an indication that people still want to live here from all over the world. New York is a wonderful place. Uh, w- New York has the best of everything. So I don't know. Uh, I, I think New York is a great place. I could do with a few less tourists. It's a little crowded when there's 200% tourist uptick anyway so i love it here new york is absolutely a safe place to be uh like any place like my question to um jesse kurtz about atlantic city yesterday because i always get that same question about atlantic city i asked him is atlantic city a safe place to visit and basically his answer i thought was a good one yes but you should keep your wits about you you know uh, should you go down a dark alley where it looks like there are six homeless people that are about to shoot up heroin probably not if you come across uh, that kind of a street in New York, no. But if you're going to touristy places, I think you're. I think you're going to be fine. I think New York is absolutely a safe place to visit. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Brian is in Denver. Hello, Brian. Brian. Thanks. Yes. Hi, Frank.
5: Yes. Uh, question for you. I know uh, recently there's been a lot of discussion about the election of uh, judges and, and DAs. And my understanding is that uh, with uh, judges in particular and DAs a little bit less, they're very limited in what they can say while campaigning because uh, of the rules uh, governing campaigns for those offices and not having to be accused themselves later. Do you have any ideas how that process could be changed so that candidates for those offices, could speak to voters yes. in a way that voters would understand? Well, so, would be more
1: yeah, it varies state to state. Um, in New York, in New Jersey, for instance, they don't even elect DAs. They don't have elected prosecutors in uh, in Jersey. They're, those are appointed positions precisely because they think that it would be too politicized if, if prosecutors were to run for office. In New York, um, there it would require a change in the state law. um, For judges, there's a prohibition on uh, judicial candidates speaking out about anything that might come before the court. So if you're running for judicial office in New York, you can only talk about yourself or administration of the court. So what 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 that would require is a change in the state law. Um, there have been a variety of proposals that uh, that have sought to unshackle judges over the years there was one back in the early 80s called judges speak out which actually passed the state assembly but then it uh, it didn't pass the Senate but um, and there's actually been a lot of attempts by judges who to have free speech in one case the spargo decision very famous case about 20 years ago the courts actually ruled that judges could speak out and could campaign based on issues, but then a higher court overturned that. But it would require a change in the state law. That's what it would require. 800-848-9222, Joe in Poughkeepsie. Hello, Joe.
10: Hi, I heard a tape today of some Maricopa County, you know, out in Arizona, uh, election officials testifying that they deleted files from the uh, election servers, and they thought that was okay because they archived them. And so when there was the subpoena to check the election records, these things never showed up.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm not familiar with that tape that you're referring to. Where where did you see that?
10: Uh, I know it was on another radio station. It was on the Jesse Kelly thing.
1: Yeah, I'd have to take a look at that, uh, Joe, uh, so I can't really speak to that. I don't know. 800-848-9222. One open line if you want to ask a question. Make it a good one. Make it out of the box. Make it creative. Make it interesting. Win yourself a prize. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with Ask Frank Anything straight ahead. It's
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
1: midnight i'm frank morano uh we are for the next 10 minutes doing an ask frank anything answering your questions on any subject a couple of people sent in email questions i always try to give deference to the phone people but let me squeeze in a couple of uh, email questions jay lawrence writes hi frank don't you think it would be a good idea to build a statue of ashley babbitt as near as possible to the capitol or the white house after all, she was a heroine in the eyes of millions of decent, patriotic Americans, even constructing a statue of Joan of Arc symbolically in honor of the assassinated Ashley Babbitt? Question mark uh, Answer is no. I don't think that that would be a good idea. I think it's terrible that Ashley Babbitt died. I think, uh, that, uh, the, uh, I think that she certainly didn't need to die. Uh, but as a general rule, this is a woman who was breaking the law. She was trespassing. She was rioting. She should not have been doing that, number one. Number two, just as I wouldn't support a statue of Eric Garner or George Floyd, and as amazing as it is, I think there is a statue of George Floyd. I think that was crazy as well. But um, additionally, one of the lessons that I'm going to teach my son when he's old enough to uh, understand these things is if someone is pointing a gun at you, especially if that person is a police officer, you need to do what that police officer says. And we've we've heard the tapes of what went on with Ashley Babbitt, and she's continuing to disregard the instructions of a police officer who's pointing a gun at you. And I don't think we should be celebrating people, whether it's Eric Garner or Ashley Babbitt, that are ignoring the instructions of a police officer. I think we should be encouraging people to adhere to what police officers are saying. And if that police officer does something wrong, then there'll be a time for that case to be adjudicated. And you could bring that up and you can bet with all the layers of supervision that cops have, that cop is going to get his or hers. But no, I don't think Ashley Babbitt is somebody that should get a statue at all. Uh, Robert writes, Frank, you mentioned in last night's show a critique of Chris Cuomo and his recent activities returning to TV. During your comments, you mentioned interest in asking him on your show, but most likely he would defer despite your fair to good relationship in the past. Is it you or a perception of WABC radio that more liberal individuals are afraid to defend their positions on the air there? I look forward to the fair and friendly debate. Now, maybe Chris Cuomo will come on. We'll see. I don't think he would come on just because I've been so critical of him. And his brother, I mean, I couldn't really blame him for that, too. I mean, I've railed against his brother, railed against him. He could go on any show in America right now. Why would he choose a guy that's been so critical of him? So I don't, I think that's what it is. I think it's because I've been so overt in my criticism. I don't think I've been unfair to either of them, but I think he may think I've been unfair. Pete is in Wappingers Falls. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. Quick question. Do you know where my blue tie is? <laughs> oh. Uh, it's in the I'm just, I'm just, it's in the last place that uh, that you looked, okay.
2: listen, my question is about the Supreme Court. I haven't heard anything about them stacking that again, adding more people. and my question is, does the Supreme Court, which I think is the most powerful of our government people, have the right to say, No, you can't do that
1: well, the no. Uh, There have been various numbers of Supreme Court justices over the years, and that number is entirely set by Congress. There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to have nine members. There have been times when there's been different numbers of uh, members on the court. And I think the reason that you're not seeing mention of that these days is because I think the folks in Congress, the Democratic members of Congress that would be pushing that – recognize that that would hurt a lot of Democrats running in swing districts and uh, they don't want to hurt them, which is why I think that issue has kind of been put on the back burner these days.
2: OK, but would the Supreme Court have the right to say if you're going to add four people, it has to be two Democrats and two Republicans? No,
1: no. Um, so the way it would work is let's say they passed a bill that said um, we're increasing the number of justices on the court from nine to 13. And simple as that. The only way that that question would even reach the Supreme Court is if someone filed a court challenge. So it would have to then work its way up to the Supreme Court and uh, through all the appellate courts and uh, through the circuit court. And then the, the court would have to agree to hear the case. And you know, even in my wildest imagination, I'm not sure what provision of the Constitution the Supreme Court would be able to say – that the 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 Congress, the Congressional bill doing that, the legislation doing that, would be unconstitutional as constituted. The Supreme Court doesn't get to, uh, they don't get to amend legislation. They can, they've taken it upon themselves to nullify legislation, even though that's not even in the Constitution. But, uh, right. but no, they couldn't, they couldn't add anything to Congress's version of the bill. To just stop it. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Pete. Stephanie's in Montreal. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Hello. It's nice to talk to you. Likewise. That's my mother's name.
12: So my uh, question to you is, what do you consider to be the ultimate aim in life?
1: Well, I talked about this a little bit at the top of the show um, after going to Mike Long's wake and seeing the uh, reverence that his his children have uh, for him. My, uh, I think the ultimate aim in life for me is to be a, uh, a good provider and a good model for your child or children. Uh, that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say. Other than that, I would say maybe to eke out a little bit of happiness if you don't have, uh, if you don't have children and, uh, maybe leave something positive behind, whatever that is. Maybe it's, uh, helping to get some pets spayed or neutered or something else, but, uh, I would say, um, I'm, if you asked me yesterday, I might have a different view. If you asked me tomorrow, I may have a different answer. But my answer today, after seeing Mike's kids at this uh, wake, it's to, um, you know, have your children regard you well and to take care of them while uh, while you're alive. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's try and get in at least one more here before we uh, before we run out of time. Uh, Ray is in New Jersey. Hello, Ray.
3: Yes, good morning, Frank. Um, not involving um, callers, uh, which your top five pet peeves, not including dancing
10: at social events?
1: <laughs> uh, top five pet peeves. Uh, Ray, thank you. I'm glad you excluded callers because... It would be people that either leave their radio on or call in on an unintelligible phone line that is right up there. You know, so my wife asked me about this because we were watching a a, a film recently and I um, and she asked me about if I ever dated a woman whose laugh I found grating. No, I dated a smoker. That was really tough. And I and she also used the word I seen a lot. Those are those two are right up there. Lately, I've noticed the Ukraine is right up there. I'm not sure what my other two would be. Um, in general, I would think people that are impolite, that's up there. All right, do we have a winner? Matt Blaise in conjunction.
13: Got to be Will from Brooklyn, Movie since top.
1: Will from Brooklyn. From that's a great question. Gotta be. Will from Brooklyn, call back, and we will give you a prize of some sort. We'll give you a choice of a couple of different ones. 800 848 WABC, 800 848 9222. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk neighborhoods. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're
3: running a strange program, y'all.
0: Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I become an admirer of a children's entertainer. I'm not talking about the people that were in Ratatouille. I am talking about the man that made those five little words a household term for literally decades. My neighbor? Uh, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, who famously said, Won't you be my neighbor? And I saw some numbers this week that I found very disturbing. And I'd love to get your take on them. A majority of Americans don't know most of their neighbors, and they barely talk to the ones they do know. Now, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Strong neighborhoods, and there's statistics to back up everything that I'm saying, strong neighborhoods boost the health, happiness, and longevity of their residents. And when it, we, we've seen, whenever there's a disaster, whether it's a flood or a hurricane or a snowstorm or a heat wave, the people that are most likely to survive are the people that have good relationships with their neighbors. But over the last several decades, and this was chronicled in a very interesting book called Bowling Alone, which I recommend, but over the last several decades, our connections with our neighbors have been fraying. Because if you think about it, there's less and less reason to leave our home. It used to be for everything we left our home. Social interaction, you went outside. You saw the people in the neighborhood. You uh, Recreation, entertainment, same thing. Now, we either stay in our homes or when we leave our homes, we have our screens In our hands. And believe it or not, one of the things I was hoping with the pandemic is that it would, because everybody was working from home all of a sudden, is that it would force everybody to get to know their neighbors a little bit better. But the pandemic, statistics show, made us even less likely than we were before to stop and chat with new folks. So as a result, most of the people living around us are strangers. I have to tell you, I think this is an absolute travesty. I spend an enormous amount of time on my front porch. And I make a concerted effort to know my neighbors. I have a very good relationship with the woman next to me, with the fella across the street from me, with the other fella across the street from me. And I spend a lot of time on that front porch. And whenever anybody walks by, I would say hello. And people know I'm on that front porch. They walk by and they'll you know, they'll say hello. If they're looking for me, they'll drive by to see if I'm there or not. And I love it. I think it's great. The people, um, unfortunately, our neighbors living in the house next door to us, they both passed away from COVID. And then the people that moved in there, they just moved in about a month ago. And my wife and I went over and said hello to them. And we brought them an apple pie because we want to have a relationship with their neighbors. And they said, these people, the very nice people, they, uh, they said they were really grateful to move to a block where they had such great neighbors. And so, evidently, we're the anomaly. 57% of Americans, according to a Pew Research Center survey, say they know only some or none of their neighbors. Think about that. say they know only some or none of their neighbors. That share climbs to uh, up to, you want to get ready to be dumbfounded? That share climbs up to 72% among 30 to 49-year-olds and 78% among 18 to 29-year-olds. Think about that. Almost 8 out of every 10, you know, people in their 20s, basically, don't know their neighbors. 58% of people, this is at all age groups, say that, this is all according to Pew Research, say they know their neighbors, but don't spend time chatting or hanging out with them. I'm curious, um, and we can get into some of the benefits of knowing your neighbors, but I'd love to hear from you, one Do you know your neighbors? 800-848-9222. Two, why or why not? Why do you know them or why do you not know them? 800-848-9222. Three, do you think there's any more, any other reason other than the fact that I've mentioned that we've increasingly become insular and hooked on our phones and our television sets and our electronic devices and being insular that... Is there any other reason that we may not know our neighbors? 800-848-9222. And four, um, if you don't know your neighbors, what's stopping you from getting to know them? From going over and knocking on the door, bringing an apple pie, or inviting them over to your house for something? Especially if you live in an apartment building. I really love living in an apartment building because uh, my wife did not like it. But uh, I loved it. Because there was something great about... Walk in the hallways and being exposed to all these different smells of what people were cooking, seeing all these kinds of different welcome mats and uh, I don't know, being having a built in sense of community. I was always trying to convince friends of mine and uh, and family members of mine to move into my building but they saw that we were paying too much rent and how everything was falling apart all the time, and none of them were too eager to move in. But I am curious about this phenomenon, and is there, to me this is the most important question, is there any way to turn this around? Because I find the demise of the American neighborhood one of the saddest things in modern American society. And if you look at all the good memories that you have from your youth, How many of them involve playing in the streets with your neighbors? If you think about um, what life was like for you 20, 30, 40 years ago, weren't your neighbors an integral part of that? So if everyone was having a good experience being a part of a neighborhood, interacting with their neighborhood, why did this all get thrown away just because people all of a sudden had smartphones? And is there any way to turn it around? 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up this hour. I cannot wait to talk to George Bebe. I am a huge George Beebe fan. Uh, I was putting together my Trump dream cabinet, by the way, uh, the other day. If I was putting together my own dream cabinet, I would love to um, put George Beebe in some senior role. Maybe secretary of state, maybe head of the CIA, maybe ambassador to the U.N., maybe something, some big diplomatic role, because the guy has such a clear sense of thinking when it comes to international affairs and foreign policy that I really I always enjoy tapping into his brain on those subjects. So we'll talk Russia and uh, in just a few minutes, and then we'll also talk about the Nancy Pelosi trip to Taiwan. But the benefits of knowing your neighbor ...are significant and real. 800-848-9222. In well-connected neighborhoods, as I mentioned, fewer lives are lost in tragedies. That includes natural disasters, but it also includes mass shootings. You're happier as you age. Older adults who know their neighbors report a far higher sense of psychological well-being. There are safer streets. Tight-knit neighborhoods have lower rates of gun violence. It boosts your well-being. People who know their neighbors are generally cheerier, healthier, and spend more time outside. Even in the age of dating apps and texting and social media, most people still get to know their neighbors in person. We are twice as likely to chat with neighbors in person than online. That's certainly true in my case. And um, I'm curious why people aren't doing it. Wondering what you're doing. 800-848-9222. If you don't know your neighbor, step outside this weekend. It's going to be beautiful weather in the New York area. Step outside and start a conversation. Maybe in the mail room if you live in a building. Maybe in the garden. Maybe on your porch if you have a porch like I do. If you don't have a porch, maybe just a stoop. I have some of my best memories as a child were on the stoop interacting with all the people in the neighborhood. Kids and adults, by the way. Kids and adults. You know your neighbors, Matt Blaze. I feel like I, I, I feel like you don't. Oh come on, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've lived
13: in my house for 15 years.
0: Oh geez.
13: I've had neighbors move, leave, and move. I did know my neighbors across the street on one side. I live on the corner, so I don't have a, a directly on both sides. My neighbors on the one side, I do know her. She's an older Italian lady. Her husband died years ago. That woman I know. I see her walking, walking uh, around the neighborhood. Say hello. I've had to. We've had to deal with her with the fence, things like that. So I do know her, and she knows who I am. My neighbors directly across the street. The guy lived there for. I don't. I want to say, thirteen out of the fifteen years we've lived there, didn't know him. Knew the guy by sight. waved to him. Never, ever once had an actual conversation with the guy. In, in 13 years.
1: Why? Why? Why didn't you have a conversation with
13: him? I don't know. I'd see his wife, and she'd say, hey, how are you? And i go, oh, how are you doing? And then I think they got divorced. And then there was another woman that came along. Well, we see why they got divorced. She was talking to you all. <laughs> yeah. Before. And then that woman came, and next thing you know, the guy sold his house within like two weeks and moved. And now I had new neighbors for two years. Never said two words to them. What? Why? I, I, I'm what I'm a shy the, guy. What, what about all the benefits that I just chronicled? Oh, there's a lot of benefits. I mean, I, I was just saying to Ken, you know, if something happens in my house, right, I'll be dead for anybody's... six weeks
1: before anybody knows. I,
13: not even that. If I'm not home, you know, I have security cameras. You're dead. I, I have no idea. Like, I have no clue what's going on. If something, I have nobody's phone number. I couldn't
1: even call him. Now, Kenneth, do you still live in the house that you grew up in?
3: Yes, I do. So
1: maybe you're in a different position than than Matt and I are in. But do you know your neighbors? So I know two neighbors. One of them, I know. Well, I feel like you should know all of them if you lived there your whole life. I only know two of them. Well, no, no,
3: no. I moved. I lived in one area for a little bit where my dad lives. And then I live with my mom. So Ah. it's two different spots. So I have two different, quote-unquote, hometowns. But one of the neighbors I knew from the bus stop back in high school. The other neighbors I only know because they just moved in, and when I was walking my dog, the mom was outside, so I introduced myself. And the neighbor that I should know but that I do not know has the pool across the street.
1: But so you, unlike uh, Matt Blaze here, you're a pretty sociable guy. You're pretty outgoing. Why do you not know your neighbors, all of them? Uh, I think it's just Why laziness, you, but honestly. how much does it take? <laughs> just to walk over. I mean, I don't the know. The walk just over? Jeez. Lazy. Right, I, I honestly tell you, whether you live in an apartment or whether you have a house, and I've done both, the most important advice that I could give you is you if you have a party, and I think most people have a party in their house at some point in their lives, the most important thing you have to do is invite all your neighbors to that party for two reasons one, it's a good way to get to know them, but two, whether they come or not, then they're not going to complain about the noise, about people staying too late, about people coming and going. So when my wife and I moved into our, our apartment when we first moved in together before we were married, the first thing we did when we had a, um, a a big party, I don't remember if it was a Christmas party or an apartment warming, we called it a condo cooling, We I wrote out a note and invited Everybody on our floor and everybody on the floor above us. And a lot of people came. And it was great to be able to see them and interact with them and not have to any of them complain about the noise or anything else. I'm going to guess of Alex Barnard, before you say anything, I think Alex knows his neighbors, right? What are you saying?
13: Absolutely. I what, do you, what
1: do you say? I agree. I think yeah, okay. So now let's see him prove us all wrong. No, of course
14: I know my you neighbors. You do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. These like... are people that I've, uh, because I live with my mom uh in the same apartment I've grown up in my whole life. These are people that I've just known um ever since I was a little kid. So you
1: you still live in the same residence that you grew up in? Yes.
14: Yes, yeah, so yeah, that's
1: yeah. what I that's why I feel like Kenneth should know more of his neighbors than he does.
14: Right. Now, I will say do I interact with them all the time? Absolutely not. And in fact, I interact with them much less. I would say much less since COVID than um Than ever before, and not because I'm afraid to get COVID. I think I just became more antisocial
1: to certain people after COVID. I think your problem is, and I mean this sincerely, is you're spending way too much time around Matt Blaze. I honestly think he's a poor influence on you.
14: Can I say how surprised I was to hear that he actually did know his neighbors at one point? (laughs) You know, like... Yeah, that's true. You know, I'm not surprised that he doesn't know them now.
13: I know them by sight, though. Like, if if I see my neighbor walking by, they'll wave to me. I I know them that way. Do I know them personally? Have I had conversations?
1: Don't don't you understand, Matt, that when there's a mass shooting, Alex Barnard is going to be alive, and and not just because he might be one of the mass shooters— but And you're going to be dead. Hey, wait a second. Well, you're into all that deaf metal and stuff. Oh, That's, come on. You know.
14: You're not one of those people that seriously <laughs> thinks that just because I listen to metal no, that I'm no, going to no. go
1: shoot no, up honestly, a school. Of all the people that work here, you wouldn't even be in my top five of uh, – People that are mass shooters. Honestly, I need um, to
13: find out that. I'm, I'm not even going to ask that question. Yeah,
1: most pe- most of them don't work here anymore. But I, I think we all would have the same five or six people on that list. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Kevin is in New Jersey. Uh, Kevin, you know your neighbors, and why do you think a majority of Americans don't?
10: Uh, can I tell you my story first? Go ahead, <laughs> Kevin. So, just coincidentally that you brought this up is just amazing in itself. I'm home yesterday. And I hear the dogs barking, and then I hear somebody knocking on the door and ringing the doorbell. So I walked over, and there's two people standing at the door holding the boxes, and I'm thinking it's Amazon or whatever, or Jehovah Witnesses. I I didn't know what to think. Open the door, and I kind of have an attitude like, what do you want? And it was two new neighbors that came over to introduce themselves. And I was completely shocked. They they had a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. They had a dog treats and dog toys for my dogs
1: right well that those are good neighbors
10: i right and i I mean it's just refreshing to know that i guess there's still people out there but i was i i was amazed i I didn't even know how to react to it how sad is that this is something that we used to do as as kids well so
1: i mean i think that's nice that they did that but why do you think that stopped
10: i just think you hit everything on the head i think it's with the technology i think we're all we're all in our little cocoons of our Phones. I think you should, you know, there should be no social media. There should be no anything. We should just be go back to these block parties like we used to have and everything else. But this was completely refreshing. It made my entire day because I couldn't believe this was I was looking for the cameras. I didn't think it was real.
1: <laughs> well, that, I, that's great to hear, Kevin. Thank you. And, you know, our neighbors get along so well. We're going to have I don't know if it's going to be a formal block party, but we're going to have a neighborhood party in August. You now, I, I have mixed feelings about it because it was a weekend that I was looking forward to trying to go to Atlantic City. But, um, you know, that's how how valuable the neighbor relationship is to everybody that lives on our block, is that we want to continue to encourage and encourage that dynamic. 800-848-9222, Fugazi Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom.
5: Hey, Frank. You know, um, fear, trust, and secrets. Those are a couple of things that keep people from, uh, you know, getting with each other. And TV and phone, oh, my God. You know, that's a reason for kids to stay in the house. They don't go out. Work schedules, you know, something you can't help. But um, we used to make things. We used to make our own scooters and skateboards and stuff like that and played skellies and things in the street. That's all gone. That's The TV now, you can do all that. You don't have to go on the street for anything. You got your own virtual
1: world on the internet well i think and, that, so uh, tom do you think it's different these days with um do you have children remind me yeah you you have children. how old are they ballpark
5: 45 and 35
1: oh you have you have children that are adults yeah okay do you have grandchildren yeah
5: a couple how old are they 18, they came line, they 18, and this is my son and daughter now, 18
1: and about 16. Oh, so you're, you're a very young-sounding guy, Tom, to have all those older uh, children and grandchildren. Um, now, you're older. I'm oh, okay, all right, so you got started young, good for you. So your older yeah. your older child, what is his or her Social Security number?
5: I'm not going to say that on the phone for nobody. (laughs) Okay, okay, that's fair.
0: All
1: right. But um, do you think it's different, Tom, with um, people that have children? Because if you have children, maybe kids are more likely to go out and play with other kids in the neighborhood. Maybe their parents also know one another better because their kids are outside playing all the time. Do you think that's more likely than just adults that don't have children?
5: Well, if you can get the
1: kids out. Because
5: I'm telling you, they... 10 years old and all that, and they do on computers, doing all kinds of things. I don't think too many kids get out enough, you know, to be able to. But kids, they all go to school together. I don't think they have that problem. You know, from the building, from the neighborhood, like a square, all the kids go. But there's too much to keep them in the house, like I said, or, and all these anything they want, especially in the cartoon world. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, we, we um, institute our own fear. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I well, mean, you want to knock on somebody's door with apple pie, shoot. They might pull a shotgun on oh, you. Oh, know come mean? That's just on. What They're not going to do that.
1: I guess it depends on the neighborhood. you got to use your best judgment. See, we have a good situation when it snows. We have one guy on our street that he takes his snowblower and does all our street. And he and a guy across the street from us, they take turns. So one guy will do everybody, and then the other guy will do everybody. One of those guys is moving. And I'm hoping that doesn't upset the snow removal equilibrium. And then, sure enough, I got the scouting report on the new family that's moving in there. I heard from my neighbor across the street. He said, this is the family that's moving in. She does this. He does this. This is how many kids they have. This is where they're moving from. And, you know, but if we didn't have a strong neighborhood foundation, I'd be left wondering who's moving there. Right? And what's their deal? All right, I want to squeeze in a couple more calls on this before we get to George Beebe. We have a first timer. We're
15: sorry.
1: Derek is in Atlanta. Hello, Derek.
6: Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to let you know I grew up in New Jersey. Always listened to WBC when I was a kid. Love listening to it. Live in Atlanta. Moved down here in t- uh, 2001. And I will say this, and like, I've been here for 21 years, and we see so much going on down here with just new people coming in, especially now after COVID. It's like, you know, I think, you know, a lot of your callers are saying about technology. Technology does play a role. I think it's more because we've become more of a transient society, We really have, where you Mm -hmm. can work from home. You know how many times I, you know, I go on the road now and I see a white space from New York, New Jersey. California, Illinois, driving on the streets of Georgia uh, in my suburbs in Atlanta, it's not it's, you know, when you have such a transient community, it's hard to develop relationships where you might have someone who's a neighbor one day and then they leave six months. Or so a year
1: I after. see. That's an interesting theory. So you think a big part of the problem is people are just moving too often, whereas in the old days, people, they picked a neighborhood and then they stayed there forever.
6: Exactly. That's because, interesting. You know, that's an interesting from, theory. You know, my, fa- my family, you know, you know, grew up in New York, uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and uh, South Jersey. They're still there. And we've tried to get, get them to move down. And some of them move down here, but there's some that will not move. So they're like, no, this is my community, and that's what it is. Interesting. You know?
1: Interesting. All yeah. right. Okay. It makes sense to me. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 Hey, those of you that are holding, if you want to keep holding, Go ahead. George Beebe is, uh, is on the line. We're going to talk about Russia and China with him. I'll pick his brain on a bunch of other things as well. Nobody brighter when it comes to foreign policy than George Beebe. Straight ahead. It's
0: the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I have said for a long time that the problem with our next guest is that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He spent more than two decades in government as an intelligence analyst, diplomat, policy advisor, including as the director of the CIA's Russia analysis and as a staff advisor on Russia matters to the vice president. Now, he wrote a terrific book about three years ago All about how we could avoid a disastrous. A Disastrous Confrontation With Russia. It's called The Russia Trap How Our Shadow War With Russia Could Spiral Into Nuclear Catastrophe. If only the United States and the Russians would have Heeded some of the warnings in that book. We'd all Be much better off, but it's actually still Worth reading now because it's written in a way That even laymen like me can understand These days he is the director Of grand strategy at the Quincy Institute One of my favorite think tanks And one of the few think tanks that's trying To do their utmost to keep us all from blowing one another up it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome back to the program george bb george thanks so much for joining me
16: thanks uh Frank. i i appreciate the uh, invitation
1: george uh, let's start with where we are with with russia Uh, Apparently, Tony Blinken and his counterpart, uh, Tony Blinken, of course, the American Secretary of State, and his Russian counterpart a day or two ago had their first conversations with one another since this Ukrainian invasion began. Is this all uh, having to do with the prisoner exchange? Well, I think
16: any time we're talking uh, at high levels with the Russians, that's a good thing. Uh, We need to be communicating. Uh, One of the dangers that we're facing here is misperception, accident, miscommunication. Um, And so we need to be reaching out to the Russians and talking about how we can avoid potential catastrophe here. So I think this is a very positive development.
1: And um, what about the prisoner exchange? I I think uh, there's been a lot of attention paid to this WNBA player, uh, not necessarily as much known about uh, what the Russians would get in a prisoner swap. What what do we know about the details of this situation?
16: Well, not a lot has come out in public at this point. Um, The Russians, I think, are are, are very, very uh, pragmatic about this sort of thing and quite cynical. Um, they tend to to play the game of leverage on these things. So they're not going to make concessions if we don't make parallel concessions on our part. So the way these sorts of negotiations go is, well, you want this from us? Well, we want this from you. So let's see what we can do. And I, I think that's what's been going on behind the scenes here. We have some people here in custody that the Russians want back. So they're not willing to play ball, so to speak, on Brittany Griner, this WNBA player unless we're willing to make some concessions for them on this. So that's what's, I'm sure, going on behind the scenes.
1: What is your perception of how the war between Russia and Ukraine is is going right now? Both sides seem to be so interested in putting out propaganda, supporting the version that their side is winning and winning big, that it often becomes a little difficult to tell what's actually happening. What's your perception of how it's going?
16: Well, I think you're exactly right. You know, that old phrase, the fog of war, certainly applies right now. And it is hard to know exactly where truth lies amid all these claims that are out there. What I think is happening is that the Russians, after some initial very poor planning in the first phases of this war, uh, that led to really a a disastrous attempt to just roll their tanks into Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. They they got... uh, rebuffed. So they've tried to regroup, they've refocused on uh, eastern and southern Ukraine, trying to capture what's called the Donbass region, um, where some separatists had actually declared independence from Ukraine way back in 2014. And the Russians never recognized uh, the independence of those uh, so-called republics there. But But then in February, Putin did. He announced that Russia was going to recognize their independence, and then he sent Russian forces into Ukraine. Well, now they're actually trying to capture that region, Um, and they've made some slow progress. They've they've moved forward over the past several months there, largely by just bombarding the heck out of that region with, with missiles and artillery and laying waste to uh, a lot of uh, Ukrainian infrastructure. And uh, the Ukrainians have had to slowly retreat. Um, now, right now, the Ukrainians say that they're about to launch a counteroffensive to try to recapture a significant city in that area, Kurson. Um, and it's hard to tell exactly uh, whether they're making any progress on that right now. So the key question right now is, Can the Ukrainians, who have been getting some more advanced uh, American and NATO artillery, use that new equipment to uh, turn the momentum back against the Russians? And for several months, that momentum has been going uh, Russia's way. So this is something everyone's going to be watching very carefully.
1: Evidently, the United States is now sending an addition or is preparing to spend an additional hundred million dollars to train Ukrainian pilots. In your view, what should the United States be doing here in term? I mean, it's very clear that we're siding as a government with Ukraine over Russia. But how big of a role should we be playing in this conflict, which increasingly seems to be a proxy war between the United States and NATO and Russia?
16: Well, I think we should be playing an enormously active role in all of this, Um, but what we've been doing so far actually is is only partially going to bring this war to an end. So we certainly have to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. We certainly have to prevent the Russians from being able to roll into the Ukrainian capital and put a puppet regime there and essentially take over the Ukrainian state and and eliminate it as an independent entity. That would be a disastrous thing for the United States, uh, not to mention for the Ukrainians. And we're doing that. So far, we've been quite effective in denying Russia's ability to resubjugate the Ukrainians. But the other part of this that the United States has to be involved in, and so far we have not been, is trying to steer this toward a diplomatic solution Mm. toward a compromise that will end this war right now. It seems like we've got no plan other than to just provide weapons and training and intelligence and military advice to the Ukrainians. And, and there are apparently are people that believe that if we keep doing this, that the Ukrainians can win. And I think that's probably false. Um, What's most likely there is we wind up in a, in a stalemate that, that's years long, that is in danger constantly of escalating into a direct war between the U- United States and Russia, and that leaves the Ukrainians absolutely devastated. Right. Uh, and, and it leaves Europe with an open wound that uh, is going to cause a great deal of suffering for everyone for a long time. Uh, that devastates the international economy and has huge repercussions for Europeans and Americans.
1: Uh, we're talking um, with uh, George Beebe. He's the author of the book "The Russia Trap," and uh, these days he's with the the Quincy Institute. Please continue, George.
16: Um, and and that's not an outcome that I think is good for anybody. So what the United States needs to be doing is using the leverage that it has right now, and it's got a lot of leverage. To steer the Russians and the Ukrainians toward a compromise. It the Ukrainians r- can't keep fighting unless we support them. And we're the only country in the world that can persuade Putin that he's better off compromising than fighting. And that includes using the leverage of economic sanctions that we've applied on the Russians. If we were to hold out the prospect of easing or lifting those, if the Russians agree to compromise, that's a powerful carrot. So, you know, I think the United States has to play a central role uh, as a leader in diplomacy here to, to bring this war to an end.
1: It doesn't seem like, at least publicly from what we're hearing, that diplomacy is a big part of the Biden administration's strategy on this, does it?
16: Well, no, not so far. You, know, you had mentioned earlier that uh, Secretary of State Blinken had not met with The Russian foreign minister since more than a week prior to the war's beginning. Um, That's not a good thing. Uh, We don't seem right now to be pursuing uh, diplomatic engagement with the Russians. So I think that's going to have to change.
1: On Sunday, it was reported that uh, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, had fired two of his top law enforcement officials, saying that they both had failed to root out cases of suspected treason in their agencies, and Zelensky apparently also revealed that his government is investigating more than 650 potential cases of treason by security officials. What does this say to you, uh, these, uh, these firings that Zelensky has already made and is apparently in the midst of making, about how the Russians have permeated the Ukrainian government?
16: Well, um, it's not very surprising. Um, The Russian intelligence service is very capable, um, and Ukraine has been a top priority, if not the top priority for Russian intelligence for many, many years, uh, going back to the breakup of the Soviet Union. So um, the fact that the Russians have, have made this kind of progress isn't very surprising. And the Ukrainian government, Zelensky's regime, um, has involved a lot of personal political patronage. Um, He has appointed a lot of people to very key positions, including um, as head of uh, their intelligence service, his personal friends that go back years and years. But these are people that – don't have experience uh, in intelligence or running these organizations. Their qualifications are that, you know, they're friends with Zelensky. Mm. So, um, to expect them to have a lot of success in running these organizations under the circumstances is, is probably pretty foolish. So that that combination of corruption and, and personal political patronage inside Ukraine and you know, Russia's uh focus on penetrating the government, I think, uh, together explain what's been happening behind the scenes here in Ukraine.
1: Um, Vladimir Zelensky and his wife did a photo shoot for Vogue magazine. They're on the on the cover of Vogue, along with the whole glamour spread. Uh, Zelensky has also made a number of video appearances at the Grammy Awards, at the Cannes Film Festival, the World Economic Forum. Uh, he's met with celebrities like Ben Stiller, Sean Penn. I, I, can you understand why a lot of folks that e- might be supporting Zelensky's resistance to the Russians might think that this is more the kind of thing that a, an actor does uh, than the kind of thing that the president of a warring nation does? Or is this exactly what a nation that's dependent upon Western goodwill should be doing?
16: Uh, Well, you know, I think you put your finger on on a a very important question. Um, The uh, Zolensky, of course, is an actor. He he is not a professional politician. He came out of the world of entertainment. So to some degree, it's not very surprising that this is something that uh, he's pursuing. But... um, What's really been going on here is that the Ukrainians have been engaged in a massive public relations effort. All of this is is very much professionally directed and crafted, um, and it is focused on shaping American and Western uh, public opinion. And the goal, of course, is to maximize the amount of support that the Ukrainians are getting uh, from the United States and Europe. Um, And they've been doing this, you know, extremely effectively. They've spent an enormous amount of money and time and effort to do it. Um, And the the Vogue shoot is a prime example of that. Uh, Not a lot of people, I think, ordinary Americans understand what's going on. But I think um, increasingly people are starting to see that uh, all of this doesn't happen by accident. Mm. Uh, And they're recognizing that... uh, their opinions are really uh, the targets in all of this. Now, that doesn't mean that the Ukrainians don't have a worthy cause. That doesn't mean that the United States shouldn't be providing Ukraine with the ability to defend itself under these awful circumstances. But it does mean that we ought to be thinking, I think, first and foremost about what's in the interests of the American people here. Uh, U.S government decisions and policies ought to be made by Americans in the interests of Americans. Um, We should not be essentially exporting our foreign policy decisions to another country on this. Uh,
1: Before I let you go, I have to get you to weigh in on the controversy involving Nancy Pelosi and her possible trip to Taiwan Evidently, uh, she announced that she was planning on making the stop in Taiwan without getting the approval of either the Defense Department or the Biden administration. The president has basically said publicly that the military doesn't think it's a good idea. China is promising that if Pelosi does go to Taiwan, there are going to be significant repercussions. Some folks are saying that uh, we should learn from the lessons of ignoring Russia's red lines on Ukraine and not, enjo- and not ignore China's red line here. Other folks say that if we back down to what the Chinese are demanding of us, that makes us look weak on the international stage. What do you say? Uh, do you think Pelosi should go forward with this trip from, for, to Taiwan or, or not?
16: Well, I think this whole thing has been very poorly handled. Um, the United States has long had uh, what we call a policy of strategic ambiguity on Taiwan. Um, recognizing the enormous sensitivities in China, which regards Taiwan as not an independent or separate state, but part of one China. And that has actually been um, since the opening of uh, U.S Chinese uh, diplomatic relations you know back many decades ago, um, the official position of the United States as well that there is one China not Um, And although we are committed officially to helping Taiwan uh, improve its defense capacity, we do not have any kind of military obligation to go to war to defend Taiwan against attacks. Um, And the danger is that the the closer the United States gets to saying, well, Taiwan is in fact separate and we will in fact go to war to, to defend Taiwan, the more we will essentially challenge the Chinese to either accept that uh, or to take action of some kind, which would be probably quite dangerous. So um, I think that that policy of strategic ambiguity, um, which is, you know, an attempt to finesse all of this so that we don't get into a direct confrontation, um, has been very effective and should continue those people that believe that we ought to essentially you know, throw the gauntlet down against the Chinese and say essentially, look, Taiwan is a separate country, uh, and we are going to make sure that uh, China can't invade, I think that's a recipe for a confrontation and one that would be very dangerous. And in, I don't think it's one that's very necessary right now. So I think Pelosi's uh, planned trip could provoke a real crisis in U.S.-China relations that will not serve anybody's interest right now. Um, now, unfortunately, we're because of the poor way that this has been mm. planned, it's going to be hard for us to back out of this without it appearing that the Chinese have had some sort of diplomatic triumph on all of this. And that's not the kind of thing we should be you know, moving towards. So we're, we're in an awkward situation that's going to require a fair amount of finesse to get out of it.
1: So uh, given the mistakes that have already been made up until this point, what sort of finesse could get us out of it at this point? What would you advise either the Biden administration or Nancy Pelosi if they were to ask your advice about an off ramp on this one?
16: Well, I think uh, in general, what you want to find is some sort of pretext for not following through right now without appearing to back down under Chinese pressure. So that's where you get into sort of creative uh, excuses um, that, you know, you you may not want to announce any kind of, you know, oh, we're not going to go after all kind of thing, but um, Find some sort of way not to follow through anytime soon without announcing that you're backing down. I think that's sort of the direction that you would need to go.
1: Got it. George Beebe, it is always a treat talking with you. I always learn so much from our conversations and uh, your your analysis of foreign policy is always so refreshingly clear of um, of so many different uh, agendas and ideological discussions that seem to drive the rest of the foreign policy discussions, whether it's on cable news or in the halls of Congress. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Greg. George Beebe uh, authored the book The Russia Trap. You can check him out over at the Quincy Institute. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead.
0: It's the other side of Midnight with Frank Murano.
1: At least on the East Coast, Um, I love Fridays. Absolutely love it. Love almost everything about it. One of the things that we generally do on Fridays is we'll have our weekly staff meeting. Usually, excuse me, I had a hiccup there. Usually it's about two hours after the show. But lately, our program director, Matt Meaney, has been really good about trying to come in early because he figures where we want to start our our weekend, so a lot of times it's been before seven o'clock. So I scheduled a an interview for my Racket Report podcast four hours after the show today. So I figured, all right, that will give me enough time to prepare for the interview, but take maybe a fifteen twenty minute nap, have our meeting decompress a little bit, prepare a little more for the interview, move my car if I need to, and then go ahead and record the Racket Report interview. The Racket Report, by the way, if you're not familiar, with that's a podcast that I do that's all about organized crime-related issues because I, uh, we don't talk about organized crime a great deal on this show, but we do talk a lot about it on the the Racket Report. So we that's what this podcast is all about. So <clears throat> then, lo and behold... I get informed yesterday, not from management, but from Alex Barnard, that our Friday meeting is likely to be postponed. Matt Blaise, are you aware of this at all?
13: Yeah,
1: 100%. How are you aware of this?
13: Once again, you are not on the email list.
1: Didn't we of add a Friday me, meeting? I thought we added me to the email list.
13: That, well that wouldn't be my position. No, that but you would be, were
1: weren't you present when I got added to this email list?
13: Um I was not at last week's meeting. So I don't know if it was at last week's no, meeting that I, you were I, at. I, no, I remember
1: like it was a meeting we saw the computer on the screen and we added me and um, oh yeah. Let that's me right. ask you guys that's you, true. W- when you when you see, hey, Frank's pretty integral to this meeting, you know, he's <laughs> slaving over a hot show for four hours. And we see that he's not included on the email. Does anybody say now? Alex Barnard, to his credit, did at least tell me about it verbally. But does anybody say, hey, you know, maybe we should forward this email to Frank? I, I don't think he actually emailed us. Yeah, there was no uh, email. Yeah, there was no. He, yeah, email. No, there was so no, no email. Just inference.
13: I, I, was, I was told about it last
14: night. Yeah, and I was on the phone with him the night that I told you. Just we were just talking, and then he said, "Oh, I'm not going to be in." All right.
1: Um, okay. So here's my situation. Here's my situation now. I would rather not stick around until four hours after the show and do and pre tape this interview, but the podcast folks give me such a hard time when I don't come up with a new edition of this podcast every week and honestly I don't want to hear it. And this is somebody that, you know, is kind of an interesting person and um you know, it's kinda of tough to get, so I probably will end up sticking around. So that's fine. It's great. Love doing podcasts, love a good conversation, fine. And so I did arrange to meet a friend for breakfast at, um, at two, two hour, an hour and a half or so before this scheduled interview. So I could prepare for the interview. I can sleep and then I can meet my friend and then do the interview. But here's my here's my broader problem. So I am still missing a debit card. OK, and I'm still I still have not received my new American Express card. So. I went to go and try and pay for a parking spot on the street earlier because I met some friends of mine uh, a couple hours before, and I found that I had no working credit cards because I have one credit card on my wallet, and it's currently maxed out. I can't charge anything to it. So I go to that parking meter thing to try and you know buy 45 minutes of parking time, and it's Zip, zilch, zero, nada. Wouldn't let me do it. So I had to download the app, the parking app, which did work. So as it stands now, I had my wife send me a photograph of her credit card, which is tied tied to the same account. But when I move my car two hours after the show, I don't think I can go to the parking garage and say, I don't have my credit card on me, but this is a photograph of what it looks like. And I don't have enough cash to you know, get me through an hour or two worth of parking in Manhattan. So w- w- what do you do in that instance? So, uh, look, I can cancel the breakfast, no problem. I hate to cancel this interview, one, because I don't want to hear the podcast people, and two, because, you know, this is someone who is a pretty reputable person with a busy schedule. I mean, I guess I could go home and do it from there, but it's not the same sound quality. I don't like doing that. What do you do in that instance?
14: When you have so much free time that you just can't decide what to do.
1: I just No, there's no free time. There's I, I'm How's he gonna pay? Right, how am I gonna pay? How are you gonna pay? Well no, no, I card. mean
14: I, you can't
1: use a picture. I Frank. think it'll that's be that's not that's not legal tender.
3: It'll be the Church of Murano. We gotta do collections in here. To help All right, you out. so I'm
1: gonna have to raise help an, you out. eleven dollars. See Sid might have eleven dollars. i might be able to borrow Sid, Sid
13: throws his credit card around give it get it from
1: him. Maybe that's an idea. That's an idea. All right. uh, Coming up in uh, a couple of minutes, we're going to do denunciations and uh, we're going to get into uh, a whole bunch of other interesting things. But that's uh, that's where we are now. I will tell you, I was supposed to meet some friends of mine. Tonight, we were supposed to go to New Jersey and see some friends of ours. And we're looking forward to seeing them. They're good people. But it's like there's one more chore. My whole day is just filled with chores. This person wants to meet then, and that person wants to meet then. And still, there's a lot of work to be done before we go away on vacation next week, both work here at the radio station and work at home. And I would love just a few hours to not have anything scheduled lo and behold i hate to say this but my friend tested positive for covid so he has invited us from his house today so i'm free now tonight which i'll have no problem filling that time but i still have to figure out how i'm going to pay for i gotta figure out a way to come up with another ten dollars we'll see all right until next hour keep asking questions
10: For an appointment or newbridgehealth.org.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to do. Denunciations in uh, just a few minutes. I will take your calls momentarily, and then we're going to talk about shelter abuse, uh, animal shelters specifically, in about a half hour. Just trying to figure out this car situation. I guess what I could do, because I have money in my bank account, but I have no debit card. So I guess I could Venmo someone 10 or $20, and then they could give me $20 in cash. I guess that would work. Or I could ask my friend that I'm meeting for breakfast for, uh, to float me a loan. I guess I could do that. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I may. I'm, I couldn't find the book that was written. Nah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'll stick around. I'll do my show prep. Do the interview. Find someone to float me that 10 or $20. Boom. That's the plan. All right. Uh, we're going to do denunciations momentarily. 800-848-9222. A lot of folks have been patiently holding. So let me get uh, to at least a couple of them. Peter is in the Bronx. Hello, Peter.
3: Hey, Frank, how you doing? Thanks Great. for taking my call. Sure. I was, the reason I was calling was about the whole neighbors thing. I think it's a generational thing. I think I, I've heard people in my building say that the younger people just don't want to socialize. And a lot of people, and especially in my building, a lot of the younger crowd are smoking a lot of marijuana. And the, the building stinks like weed all the time. And it's just I like to get my apartment and close the door, you know but there are a lot of neighbors on my there's a lot of women on my floor they're younger and I'd like to get to know them but my wife would have a problem
1: with that <laughs> I bet I bet thank you very much uh, you know it's it is interesting I um I did get an opportunity I it was good talking with George Beebe about the Russia situation and Ukraine situation cut one um and we did have an opportunity to speak about the uh spread in vogue that Vladimir Zelensky is doing with his wife, which I just found incredible. So Tulsi Gabbard was on Tucker Carlson's program the other day. And apparently she's one of the people that is being silenced in Ukraine. So she was on Tucker Carlson on uh, two days ago. And she went and talked about how, The bipartisan Washington elite essentially continue to impoverish Americans and people around the world and risk nuclear war to protect democracy and defeat autocracy in Ukraine. But Ukraine's president continues to prove democracy is dead in Ukraine by silencing dissenters. Here was Tulsi on Fox News the other day.
17: I see the hypocrisy, Tucker. The hypocrisy of this blacklist is, and frankly, why the American people should care about this, is the Biden-Harris administration and the Washington elite from both parties are continuing to be willing to impoverish the American people and people around the world and push us closer and closer to nuclear war and Holocaust, all to protect democracy and defeat autocracy in Ukraine. And all of this is happening as uh, the Ukrainian president is, frankly, exposing that there is no democracy in Ukraine. You mentioned a few examples of some of the things that he's doing in silencing any dissenting voices, imprisoning political opponents, banning all political activity from the 11 opposition parties, uh, frankly, taking control of all national media under his unified information policy. And now he's turning his sights on Americans, not only uh, myself and others you've mentioned, but a sitting U.S. senator. Uh, the the danger of this, again, uh, goes to the cost that our leaders are willing to exact as they continue this facade of a, of a push for so-called democracy and defeat autocracy. The whole thing is so hypocritical, and we need to hold our leaders accountable for it. I really
1: do think that come a year or two from now, Zelensky is going to be like Andrew Cuomo and so many other people, Boris Johnson, who were once media darlings, and then once their whole act gets exposed, people are going to essentially see how fraudulent they are. I really do think that. And this attempt to silence Tulsi Gabbard and Rand Paul and others, forgetting about in his own country, Americans, I think uh, people are going to see that for what it is eventually. 800-848-9222. Leo in the financial district has been holding a while. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning.
7: Uh, Okay, to the subject of the neighborhood getting together. All my years since youth, we was actually with neighbors connected with the sport. Back in the Czech, we was playing soccer with the people from buildings around. Uh, The same in Germany. And in America, we used to go in in, uh, the Upper East Side. There's a so-called hall on 73rd. And... uh, play volleyball with, with different uh, nationalities. There was about five Czech people, and the rest was different nationalities from neighborhoods. But my building on Upper East Side, I didn't know nobody. I know one girl, how she looked like, and I didn't know nobody. Then I moved to Westchester to a loft building where we have uh, about 40 lofts. They just opened that somebody, uh, uh, actually got a huge factory and turned it into loft building with big loft sixteen feet ceiling from the year one. Every Christmas party, every Thanksgiving party, and one more I cannot remember it was the third one. Three, four out of fifty uh, people locked the door and left for weekend. Arrest everybody have open door Cooking, drinking on each level was disco music. Me and a couple artists have exhibited those people uh, have the paintings. Around. We was for two days partying hard, like a hundred people M- moving through the neighbors, looking who built uh, some uh, you know bedroom above head because there was sixteen feet ceilings and so And Just checking up on other places, staying there for half hour was amazing. It was working for about three, four years. They started moving new people in, and, and uh, it got a little bit less. It was like four or five party animals, which we were doing still these parties. But the first years, since they opened it, it was amazing. Westchester, mm-hmm. New shelf, it's called Knickerbocker Lofts, a big a brick building. All right, Leo.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I, I got bored there after a while uh but uh, Leo's a nice guy. I always try to give him an opportunity to uh to be heard but you know how far can you go with that? All right, without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents
0: Denunciation. I
1: must denounce Kentucky's largest school district, Jefferson County School District. This school district must have taken a time machine to March of 2020. They are going to require students, faculty and staff to wear a COVID mask, regardless of vaccination status, on school property and buses. Now, this is ridiculous. They're going to make people that are vaccinated wear masks. Come on. This is why punish people like this. I mean, I think. This is a tremendous overreach, and I have questions about what this is actually going to do to stop the spread. Uh, I can understand if you want to make the unvaccinated people wear a mask. If you have to do that, if you want to look like you're doing something, I I think this is going to be, I think this is silly, to be honest. This is crazy. Jefferson County School District, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Her SUV, her official SUV, has been racking up speeding tickets, traffic tickets, red light tickets, despite the mayor's staunch support for tougher speed cameras rules. Evidently, Ms. Lightfoot doesn't think that applies to the vehicle that she rides around in. So this vehicle was ticketed for running a red light, and apparently... None of the fines that have been accumulated by her SUV since May of 2021 have been paid. Now, one of the SUVs in the mayor's fleet, because there's a number of cars in her fleet that have racked up these bills, could actually be seized for failing to pay a $244 ticket for running a red light. This comes all as Lightfoot is pushing for stricter red light camera rules. Under the banner of public safety. Well, why isn't it public safety? Why isn't public safety at issue when her cars are running red lights? Mayor Lightfoot, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Lyft driver that was taking um, one of Andrew Cuomo's former staffers. Sidney Wolfe, up from Dewey Beach to Bethany Beach in Delaware. So this former staffer of Governor Cuomo was actually killed after a Lyft driver allegedly ordered him and five friends out of a car on Delaware's coastal highway. So according to the Delaware State Police, at some point during the ride, the Lyft driver and the passengers had a disagreement. Causing the lift driver to end the ride in the middle of the southbound left lane of the coastal highway and demanded that all six passengers get out of the vehicle. At the same time, a 2016 Toyota Corolla was traveling southbound and fatally hit Sydney Wolf. This is terrible. The driver of the Corolla, um, 27 years old, tried to change lanes to avoid the stopped lift, but ultimately didn't see Wolf, who had just exited. The right rear passenger seat and was standing in the roadway. This is crazy. Um, the, I don't know what the circumstances of the disagreement were here, but even if the lift driver was right, he should have waited until he got these passengers to a place where they could safely walk away, not in the middle of the highway. This lift driver, I think, bears a significant amount of responsibility for this person's death. I must also denounce, kills me to do it, literally, alcohol. Alcohol. Some new analysis funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the authors of the Global Burden of Diseases, have found that if you are under the age of 40, no amount of alcohol is good for you. Even small amounts of alcohol lead to increased risks of death. This project that was done in conjunction with the University of Washington in Seattle produces comprehensive data on the causes of illness and death in the world, and it concluded young people should not drink at all. This analysis estimates 1.3 billion people consumed harmful amounts of alcohol in 2020. So um, they found that for those older than 40... Consuming a small amount of alcohol, for example, drinking between one and two glasses of red wine daily can provide some health benefits, uh, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke and diabetes, but health risks vary by age and region. So the message from the people, the professor that led this study group, young people should not drink, but older people may benefit from drinking small amounts. So if you're a young person... Stay away from the booze if you want to live a long time. So, alcohol, I do denounce you. Boy, this is a real winner. I have to denounce Christy Louise Jones, a spurned lover who wanted to get revenge against her ex-boyfriend. I've never wanted to get revenge on anybody. Never. Never. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a boss, not a co-worker. I'm a live-and-let-live live kind of guy. I'm a turn-the-other-cheek kind of a person. Watch, now that I said that, I'm sure somebody's going to do something to me that requires me to get revenge on them. But Christy Louise Jones thought it would be a good idea to burn down her ex-boyfriend's house. But this brain surgeon set fire to the wrong house. So she sets fire to a house and as the homeowner raced to get a garden hose um, there were burning pieces of wood encircling a propane tank on his front porch. When he tried to use the hose it didn't work because Christy Louise Jones used Flex Seal to block the hose. The homeowner then confronted Jones with his rifle as she was holding the leash to one of his dogs. She just mumbled before she drove off as first responders approached the scene. Jones allegedly brushed the homeowner with her car as she sped by him. A witness told deputies that a former boyfriend of Jones owned property in the neighborhood, and they believe that she may have had her eyes on the wrong house. There's no evidence that the house she actually tried to burn down, the homeowner and Jones actually knew one another. No evidence of that at all. So... I'm denouncing this woman both for an overreaction and for stupidity, quite frankly. I must denounce Corey Johnson. No, not the former speaker of the New York City Council, but a Florida man who is doing whatever he can to enforce every negative stereotype about Florida men. This man, Corey Jones, was arrested after stealing a pickup truck and driving to a Space Force base to warn the government about extraterrestrials and mythical creatures. Do you think they need your warning, Corey Johnson? He was arrested after he attempted to get on the base, and he apparently tried to explain to the authorities he was told by the president to warn the government there was U.S. aliens fighting with Chinese dragons. Now, there's no comment from President Biden or his spokespeople, but all evidence is the president did not actually tell Corey Johnson to warn the government that there were aliens fighting with Chinese dragons. Now, if you look at this guy's mugshot, you could tell right away he's a couple of aces short of a full deck, let's be honest. As I said, he's trying to reinforce whatever negative stereotype he can about the term Florida man. I want to denounce the Blackley and Central funeral home in New Jersey. What was supposed to be a beautiful goodbye to their mother turned into a three-ring circus of shock and horror for the Kim family when the woman they almost buried ended up, you guessed it, not being their mother. The family members said they almost buried a stranger 20 years younger in their mother's grave after the funeral home mixed up two women with the last name Kim. One was 93 years old. The other was 20 years younger. I mean, if you're running a funeral home, is it too much to ask that you bury the right person? You put the right person in the casket? Isn't that kind of your one job? All right, you don't have tissues out. You don't have a bottle, a uh, you know, a, a jug of water out. Okay, that's all stuff that's minor in comparison. But you got the wrong body in the casket? Come on. Blackley and Central Funeral Home, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Travis Burroughs. This is another fellow. I almost want to introduce this guy to Corey Johnson. Travis Burroughs is a Maryland man who's been convicted on sex charges. As he was being, um, as he was in court, he decided it would be a good idea to throw a water pitcher at the judge's head. And apparently, say what you want about this guy, he's got good aim. He managed to hit Judge Wanda keyes Heard in the head, inside a courtroom, immediately after she sentenced him as a sexual predator. So now, not only is he a convicted sexual predator, but he is a convicted pitcher thrower. I do denounce you, Mr. Burroughs. May God have mercy on your soul. I want to denounce the three men who... These guys strike me as just such lowlifes. Sean Stacy of Norfolk, Virginia. Samari Smith of Williamsburg, Virginia. Mark Aspely of Hampton, Virginia. These three men went on Tinder to pose as women. They decided... It would be a good idea to target some Navy sailors and making these sailors think that these were beautiful women that they were beginning to get into a relationship with. And ultimately, they took tens of thousands of dollars from these sailors. There were 11 victims in total, ranging in different military ranks. And the this fishing scheme... Which went on for about nine months. It targeted account holders with Navy Federal Union accounts. Apparently, these three guys would pose as bank employees and contact victims to obtain information necessary to access their accounts. They transferred the money to sailors they met online, then convinced the sailors to withdraw money from their own accounts to make it appear like they were being covered. These people targeted sailors as well by posing as women, interested in a romantic relationship. In some cases, these people would tell the victims that their sister, who's in the military, needed help in an effort to get them to transfer funds. So there was all sorts of different ways that they were trying to steal from members of the Navy. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And finally, I must announce Blue Bell Ice Cream. The Texas-based ice cream company, which sits in supermarket freezers across 22 states, was included on a list of ice cream brands that use the lowest quality ingredients by the popular food magazine Eat This, Not That. You know of my fondness for that website. The Texas brand was last on the list coming in ninth Behind Baskin-Robbins, uh, according to the Blue Bell Ice Cream Nutrition Facts, the classic homemade vanilla flavor flavor uses the tried-and-true milk cream and sugar, and they even are at the top of the ingredient list, but also fills out the recipe with high-fructose corn syrup, cellulose gum, and vegetable gums. Blue Bell was also named the worst store-bought ice cream band, brand in the country with 20% of people surveyed by Mashed putting it in last place. So there you go. If you're looking to buy ice cream, I would look elsewhere. Bluebell, I do denounce you. Hey, uh, I also... Denounce anybody that mistreats animals. And unfortunately, one of the things that we're seeing in New York City shelters now, and this may go on in other, uh, other shelters in other cities, is pretty abominable. We're going to get into this in just a moment with a woman who's been a, uh, a tireless advocate on this issue. And she's been um, all over the place when it comes to raising awareness about the abuse that's going on in shelters. Uh, this is a conversation you're not going to want to miss Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk with Dana Fuchs. She's a writer and a longtime animal advocate uh, here in New York. So we'll get into that momentarily. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Well, by now you've probably guessed this is uh, an Alex Barnard selection in terms of music. This is Morrissey. And um, when Matt plays is away, Alex Barnard will play. So uh, we'll give you the all the artists of all the bumper music that we're playing this morning. If you join our Facebook group, we post it up there each and every morning. Just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. So... What we saw during the pandemic was a surge of people who were adopting animals, dogs and cats, and that's all great. Unfortunately, we then saw a flood of these animals being abandoned after, the, after things kind of went back to normal. Well, unfortunately, even before the pandemic, a place that had just an abysmal record, of looking after some of our most vulnerable residents is New York City. Somebody that has been on a mission to reform the way New York takes care of its animals is uh, Dana Fuchs. She is a writer and a longtime activist on this issue, and uh, she lives right here in New York. Dana, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know it's early.
12: Frank, thanks so much for having me. All right. Now...
1: um, what exactly is the policy when it comes to most New York shelters? Uh, I read this op-ed that you had written in City and State, I guess about uh, two years ago, with, it, with the headline said New York should stop killing adoptable pets. And uh, you seem to say that New York animal shelters are too quick to euthanize animals that are really not dangerous or, in some cases, not even too ill. What's going on here in New York?
12: Well, basically what the public doesn't know is that animals are killed for fear and stress, Um, and that just should not happen. And it's basically that the pound has the power um, to play God, and that's basically what happens. They could kill for any reason. One of the uh, legislative pieces that we want passed is called the Shelter Animal Rescue Act and Frank, I can't even believe that we have to try to pass this. What that means is we want rescues to be able to pull, verified rescues, not like people off the street saying they're a rescue, to be able to pull animals before ACC kills them. And everyone talks to me, they're like, because there's myths about shelters. Well, there's too many, It's, it's overpopulation. If ACC stopped getting dogs sick, from their conditions if they stopped blocking rescues if they stopped blocking uh, fosters and adopters the shelters would be near empty
1: so how many how many animal shelters are there in new york ballpark
12: you know i'm not positive about that stat i just kind of zone in and focus on you know um what shelters doing what and i do it you know, for shelters all across the country. So,
1: Are all uh, the animal shelters in New York doing the the wrong thing, in your view, or do some shelters behave in a responsible manner?
12: Absolutely not. I, you know, I try to focus on ACC because— And and so
2: what's ACC?
12: uh it's the animal control center in new york city and they have a couple of uh different locations so i really try to focus on them because they're the worst and i think the thing that um upsets me the most frank is and i and i when i wrote you the email i kind of you know said to you it's like doggy watergate and what i meant by that is um there are so many entities that I did not know about. I was very naive, like the public. I'm like, well, they get a lot of animals and all this kind of stuff. And then I saw the politicians and that the kill shelters actually have lobbyists to block our bills. And animal rights groups support kill shelters because they themselves kill animals
1: in shelters. Why do the animal and rights groups support kill shelters?
12: You, you Because they don't want anybody telling them who should live and who should die. They, a lot of them don't believe in no kill. So when you see, I tell everybody, when you see those commercials that make you cry on TV, don't be donating to them because they don't believe in no kill. They want the kill shelters and their own shelters to be able to choose who lives and who dies. So that's what we're fighting against. We want, The rescues, and again, this is important to say because there's propaganda on the other side that says, well, you know, um, like Peter says that we're, you know, people like me, we're hoarders. Well, I have one dog. I don't think that makes me a hoarder. Um, So we're talking about rescues that are approved by the shelter, but they still at times can't pull an animal because ACC has the power
1: well, when you see say them. pull an animal, what does that mean, pull an animal?
12: Pull them to safety, bring them to their facility, save them. Got it. Okay.
1: So with these ACC shelters, how long uh, does a dog or a cat reside there before they're euthanized?
12: Uh, it depends. Um If you Google New York Post, ACC, New York City, you will see um, more than a few articles on dogs that were killed the same day, and they have video of the owners coming in saying, what do you mean you kill It, it was two hours ago. What do you mean? Um, so some pets are killed same day. Um, the same day they're brought in? Absolutely. Wow. It was a lost dog, and I believe it was Staten Island. They actually drove past the house. They had the address. They drove past the house didn't knock, brought the animal, I think, Frank, it was to Manhattan, and killed the animals. And then the owners come in, and this isn't just like a one-time thing. The owners come in, and they're on video, like, what do you, the guy scream? what do you mean you killed my dog? And they're like, well, you know, I'm not going to say what they said, because I don't know exactly what they said on the video. But it was like, they have the power to kill any animal at any time you your buddies with curtis leewell if you google again acc new york city new york post curtis leewell kitten you will see a beautiful kitten curtis was on his way or his wife was on his way they arranged to pick up this beautiful kitten and there's a picture in the article and then they called him and said we you know, I don't know if they said we killed them, but they killed them. So, you, I, I want to say, Frank, can I say one more thing? Please. It's not euthanasia. This infuriates me. If you and I know I sound like a broken record, but I have learned I have to prove everything I say. People say humane euthanasia. And again, if you Google New York City, ACC, New York Post dog dragged to his death. The dog is maverick. He had problems with one person in his life, the father. The rest of the family, the police that brought him in had no problem. And he did, he bit bit the father. But if you see that dog, Frank, and I I get choked up, he was begging, begging for compassion. He, He was drugged up and he was just like in circles and he knew what was gonna happen. And he got dragged to his death, the video went viral And it's like, do you people think this is a one-time thing? It's not. It's not humane euthanasia. Euthanasia is when an animal is really suffering or an animal is going to maul someone. This is not euthanasia. Nobody, I, I wrote about that I had been attacked before and that connection. The animal cares about their life as much as you and I care about our life. And, and there's no reason. There's plenty of people that want to adopt, but they make it so hard. And they have this kennel cloth that they put animals on the kill list for. And then what happens is people on Twitter and Facebook, there's a woman that pledges $5 and you could tell she has no money. And why does she do it? Because we we pledge money. And I'll be honest, I don't because I give my time. I don't have a lot of money. But these people pledge thousands of dollars, so a rescue will pull will pull the dog. And people people say to me, well, why do rescues charge five hundred dollars? They're getting rich. No, they don't. Rescue directors pretty much make like twenty four thousand a year. The reason they have to charge you that donation fee is because they get so sick at kill shelters, and it's treatable, but. Sometimes it's over $1,000 per dog. The dog goes in healthy, mm -hmm. and they get sick.
1: So, Dana, um, now, obviously, you're not saying that a shelter should never be able to put an animal to to death, are you?
12: No, no, I'm not, but not at all.
1: So, so yeah, go ahead. What should the process be, exactly?
12: Well, the process should be if the dog is truly dangerous or truly suffering and can't do hospice, then we're going to lose those dogs. But, Frank, what they do is, okay, have you ever had a dog?
1: Sure, of course, yeah.
12: Okay, has your dog ever played with the leash when you took him out? Yes. Okay, your dog would be on death row. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, They call that they call that leash fighting.
1: So uh, one of the one of the pieces of legislation that you've supported is this uh, Shelter Animal Rescue Act. And um, what exactly what would that do? How would that change the system and make it better for these dogs that are on death row?
12: Basically, what the Shelter Animal Rescue Act would do is it would say if a rescue and, and the rescue is approved by the shelter already. Again, that's important to say. You can't just go in and say, hi, I'm Frank, I have a rescue. And under this law, I could pull the dog. No, this is, the shelter's has an approved list of rescues that can pull. And ACC would not be able to kill an animal, that a rescue wants to save. So they can no longer say to the rescue, you know what? Years ago there was this dog, and and ACC had said the dog would be better off, you know, in the suburbs or the country rather than an apartment. And so in their mind, it's better that they killed this dog Mm. than give this dog a chance in the apartment, and that's what we're dealing with. So this legislation is so simple. And I love it because so much legislation gets filled with other things. Sure, You know, this is a clean bill. And it says approved rescues in good standing that want to pull a dog from a New York shelter cannot be blocked.
1: Uh, you've also okay. advocated for something called the Companion Animal Protection mm-hmm. Act. What would that do?
12: Okay, well, the Shelter Animal Rescue Act is active right now. Kappa got pushed off. Sadly, so we're we're kind of doing it a little piecemeal to try to get some things passed. But the Companion Animal Rescue Act is simply a set of humane guidelines. So basically it would say, because ACC does kill with open cages, so the Companion Animal Rescue Act would say, no, you cannot kill with open cages or if you can transfer those animals to a willing facility. You know, and it sets humane. You know, I'm I'm very careful because um, the kill shelter uses the word humane, but this is truly a set of guidelines that would change um, how shelter pets are treated and how and if they can be killed. So um, that's a big a bigger bill, and that was um, written by Nathan Winograd of the No Kill Advoc- Advocacy Center and he is amazing, and that bill um, would be incredible. But right now, because the legislators, again, Doggy Watergate and Kitty Watergate, uh, the legislators are friends with ACC leadership. Um, So ACC never gets investigated for anything. So we have to pass smaller legislation, but there's still you know um there's animal rights group that get in touch with them hey don't support the shelter animal rescue act so sometimes we'll have a politician that's on board and they drop off and we know it's from you know um the kill shelter lobbyists and the kill shelter themselves you know they're friends with each other
1: but that ACC yeah. is a is a non-profit right right so what do they have to gain by hiring lobbyists to continue the status quo of uh, basically putting these animals to death whenever they want to.
12: Well, they gain that they have the power. They have the power to choose who lives and who dies. That's what it is. They want anything in life, Frank. You like The less supervision you have, most people like that. And mm-hmm. in this situation, it is... It's absolutely killing animals, again, because I, I look up, Frank, I am a note person, so whenever they kill an animal, I try to get the Freedom of Information Act, and I get the notes, and I, I, it would be comedy. I've done comedy before. It would be comedy if it wasn't such a tragic situation. Again, the leash biting. Um, the animal is too shy. I got a foil back last week, and it, it had... I can't even tell you how many times it said animal not thriving. Well, you get betrayed by your owner and get put in a shelter, you know, um, where you smell death and the conditions are awful and the food is awful and there's things expired Mm. that you're eating and it has disease. And you tell me, Frank, that you're going to thrive. And and it it just kills me because, you know, I've seen rescues work, Frank. And and the best rescues, they take an animal that is so fearful, and in a week, that animal is just like another creature because they know they're safe. I I can't tell you how beautiful it is to see an animal shaking, staring at the wall, and then they trust you, and they come around, and, and they kiss you because they're like, they know, they thank you for saving me. But when they're in ACC, they sense it. You know, the animals sense death, and that's what happens. They get scared. They balk. They're in tight conditions. The air is terrible, and um and that's and that's what happens. And if I could talk, if I can, Frank, about solutions, is that okay?
1: Please, yeah, no, that's what we're trying to figure out.
12: Yeah. Well, the first thing is to everybody: please be a responsible pet owner. If no matter who you are, I don't care how young or old, you have to have a plan for your pet. I can't tell you how many times. And again, when I started, I was naive. You, so, so God forbid you die. Your animal gets taken to ACC or another kill shelter. I thought, oh my God, they would never kill that old lady's dog. She's had him for 12 years, he's in good health. They would, they would never kill this animal. Someone died you know, during the pandemic. And there's no mercy. So my point is, you would have a plan for your children, have a plan for your animals, because family members dump them constantly. And, and they make up tons of excuses to assuage their guilt. But I couldn't believe it. I'm like, my family, nobody I know would ever do that.
1: Sure, no. But
12: you need to have a written plan for your family. That, the second,
1: yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead.
12: No, the second thing is, and this is the biggest thing, Mayor Adams, you know, wants to be known as a different type of politician. What would make him a different type of politician is to replace ACC with a rescue group. There are so many great rescue groups in New York. If a rescue group took over, uh, maybe Curtis Lee Wells people could take over. I actually wrote that for the Daily News and Voice of the People. If a rescue group took over, that would mean people would want to go and adopt their jobs. Um, donations would go up. We would be, I'm, I'm telling you, the trust would be immediate. Because if a rescue group that's, you know, trusted by advocates is in charge, when a dog is put down, we would know. We would know because they save as many as they can. And if it's a good rescue group, we would know that, they needed to do that, and we wouldn't be fighting them, and we would work together as a team. And there's so many talented rescue mm. rescue groups that can do that. So are, people are, there, any, it, are yeah. there. Are
1: there any cities that do this really well? Are there any cities that are sort of a, a model for how these no kill yeah. shelters well, should work?
12: You know, and it, we have no kill Austin, and and it's not perfect. They're still learning, but they admit their mistakes, and no kill Austin. um is is kind of the model. They're going through a little transition right now, but but it does work. And okay. I always say to people, Frank, like something is broken for so long. You could always go back to the to the cruelty in the archaic way. Can't we in our society, don't we dream big anymore? we We don't dream big anymore. Like let's try another way. Mm. It's not that hard. You'd have help. There are people that would. You know, I would love to help. There are so many advocates that would love
1: to help. Mm.
12: Why can't we try another way?
1: Yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, Dana, I want to thank you for uh, your passion and your work on this issue. Thanks for uh, shedding some light on this. Please keep us posted on on your legislative efforts. And if there's anything else that the uh, the public needs to know about what ACC is up to and uh, just uh, the issue of animal welfare in general.
12: Thank you so much, Frank. Have a great
1: night. Thank you. Appreciate it very much, uh, Dana Fuchs. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-9222. We'll continue with your call straight ahead.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 800-848-9222 is our phone number. This will be my last program before I leave you. Uh, I am uh, going to Cape May, New Jersey next week. Looking forward to to that very much. Curtis Sliwa will be in all of next week. Uh, That is some shift that Curtis is going to be doing. He's going to be doing the overnight show on the weekend. He's going to be doing his own midday show. And then he's going to be doing this show. Uh, so give him a break. If Curtis is, is starts uh, getting a little nonsensical, well, more so than usual, I uh, hope you'll cut him some slack because that's not an easy schedule. And uh, I'm grateful that, uh, that Curtis is, uh, is willing to do that. This is going to be the first time ever I'm going to be off, I mean technically off, Saturday and Sunday, right? Uh, Saturday I'm going to be participating in this uh, softball game. But I'm going to be off Saturday and Sunday, and then the next five days, right? And then the following Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. That will be the first time in my entire life that I will have been off from coming into work for 10 straight days. So I'm looking forward to that. And, um, Uh, My wife and I really do enjoy Cape May, and I think what we may try to do, what I may try to do is I had such a good experience with the digital detox last Saturday, and I'm going to try it again this this Saturday, but I think I may try for that on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week when I'm in Cape May, New Jersey. No, not using my computer or my mobile phone or listen to the radio or watch television, and it's tough because I really do enjoy listening to the radio. That's one of the things that I – most get a kick out of when i'm at leisure is listening to radio shows and podcasts it's really one of my favorite things but maybe as uh, as if you hadn't heard the segment that we did on boredom you could also read the article it's uh, posted in our facebook group at morano radio fans and haters there are all sorts of positive mental benefits about being bored so i am uh, looking forward to pushing my boredom to the limit to see if, uh, I'm going to bring some books to read, but to see if I can get my brain coming up with any really remarkable ideas in that respect. Uh, 800-848, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Let me say hello to, let me go, I'm going to go to folks in the order in which they've been holding. Stan in Fort Lee has been holding a while. Hello, Stan. Stan. Stan's got other things to do. Ted is in Brooklyn. Hello, Ted. Good morning, sir. I want to denounce uh,
3: this punk who attacked an officer because he didn't want to pay for the subway. I mean, you can't then I saw on TV the attorneys are trying to hide his face from the cameras as he's coming out of court. You know, I worked in the court, King County Court, for over 20 years, and <clears throat> it's pretty disgusting what's going on in 2022, and I can tell you. Many of those cases, because I, uh, I had many positions in the courtroom, and one of my uh, positions was I had to make family notifications. And what's going on, You have, I, I remember it as like it was yesterday, because I've been out of the court for a while. When I had to make notifications for people who were arrested, none of them, most of them didn't have uh, two-parent homes. I would say the majority of these notifications I had to make. I had to try to track down uh, a relative, you know, to be for a notification. They didn't have any, uh, you know, two parent homes. I mean, could hardly get a hold of their mo- mothers. And I'm like, and it happened constantly, day in day out. Then you have the MTA saying, "Oh, we're bankrupt," and yet no, these people don't want to pay to ride the subway. They think they're entitled for a free train ride. I mean, are you kidding me?
1: Well, I think the same people that are committing fare evasion are not necessarily the MTA executives that are claiming bankruptcy. I think those are two separate groups of people, but your point's well taken. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave.
4: Hey, Frank. How's it going?
1: It's going well, I think.
4: Good. Well, enjoy your vacation in Cape May. Thank you. It's really nice. It's really nice down there. Wildwood, Wildwood Crest, the beaches. There's some of the best beaches on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, I agree. No, we go every year. We're big fans of uh, of uh, the whole community.
4: Yeah, it's good. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about was the fact that uh, Uber drivers and Lyft drivers are not professional drivers. I was a limousine driver for 20 years, from 1985 to 2005, and now I'm I'm an independent driver. I have my own car service and I go by Dave the Driver. And... When I was a limousine driver, you never had or heard of anything like sexual assaults, which is going on with Uber and Lyft drivers, assaulting passengers, women. There's a lawsuit now in California and other states out west. 500 women are going to be suing Uber for allegedly being assaulted by the drivers. I mean, I drove for 20 years a limousine, sedans and stretchers. I never did anything. We never heard of anything like this.
1: So is part of the problem, Dave, that we've essentially deprofessionalized the field of driving?
4: Yes, because you used to, first of all, when in the 1970s and 80s, you had to be, or maybe it was the 1980s, you had to be 25 years old. You didn't have to have a CDL license with a passenger endorsement. Then you... Come 1990 or so, you had to have a CDL with a passenger endorsement to drive stretch limousines. And these Uber and Lyft drivers, all they do is they sign up for to be an Uber driver or Lyft driver, and they don't look into these people and um, – they have dirty cars a lot of them they don't take care of their cars they don't dress nicely i dress nicely my car is kept immaculate you know and but the thing is it's gone both ways the drivers have gone downhill with these uber and lyft drivers and the passengers some of the passengers think they're in their living room they want to hear the radio louder they want to hear their own station their own music and you know what? They bend over into the front seat, and they start playing with the radio so, like so, they think it's their car.
1: So, I mean, I, I think that's what sort of the star system of rating drivers and passengers is designed to prevent. But if you can, Dave, in 20 seconds, what would you do about it? How would you change the system?
4: I don't know if you can because taxis are going away of the horse and buggy. I charge taxi rates. I don't charge Uber rates. Right. If I charge Uber rates, I'd be out of business.
1: Dave, thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you. Uh, Coming up in a moment, there's a new party in town, maybe a couple. We'll get into it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So, uh, someone just sent me an SMS text message, and you can SMS text message me as well at eight one six eight Moreno in response to what Dave and Dumont was saying about uh, drivers and his contention that the deprofessionalization of drivers leads to the drivers molesting all the passengers and. Um, and leaving them on the side of the highway, and it's not true. Not all drivers do that. I have friends and family member, family members that are e hail drivers of e hail vehicles, and they don't do that. And she pointed out that uh, you do need a TLC license in New York to be an Uber and a Lyft driver. I didn't. I don't recall Dave specifically saying that they that you don't need a license. But if he said that, then that is inaccurate. Because that is true, you definitely need a uh, a TLC license. Now, in about uh, twenty minutes, those of you that are holding, I'm going to get to you in a moment. Though, in about twenty minutes, we're going to talk with we're scheduled to talk with Richard Wolf, one of the leaders, the founder, really, of the New Jersey Moderate Party. Now, my interest in talking with Richard Wolf is not so much to talk about the Moderate Party. I mean, I'm interested in that, but I'm interested in what the Moderate Party is trying to do. You see, in New York, it's in Connecticut, for instance, it's very common for people to run as the nominees of multiple parties. I've explained this before. For instance, Rudy Giuliani ran as both the candidate of the Republican Party and the Liberal Party. George Pataki ran as both the the candidate of the Republican Party and the Conservative Party. Uh, Mike Bloomberg ran as the candidate of the Republican Party and the Independence Party, right? So you can do that in New York, and there's different reasons that people do that. In New Jersey that's prohibited. So the moderate party is actually trying to challenge that New Jersey state law. So the founder of the moderate party is going to join me in about 20 minutes. Well, he's scheduled to join me in about 20 minutes to explain why. Now, um we did make arrangements for him to join me on on Saturday. And then I uh I had uh I came in here about 90 minutes before the show and Alex Barnard asked me, well, can you send me his number? I said, I forwarded you the last contact information that I had with him, which turned out to be on um, Monday, July 25th. Okay. I said, he said, all right, well, I just, I just reached out to see if we could do a test um, and make sure everything's working. I said, oh, you reached out a couple of days ago? He says, no, just now. Reached out at midnight. I said, Midnight? you think that everyone's checking their email at at midnight? And Alex's response was, I, I said, well, why didn't we do this a couple of days ago when I sent you the email? And Alex's response was, well, I wasn't here at the time. Now, I can't help but think that maybe we could have done it, if not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, it is a little cutting it awfully close there, right? I mean, Frank.
14: You expect me to read your mind? I think at all times, like you know, when when like a couple of weeks ago, right when you when it was pizza and you said, "How come we didn't offer any pizza to Omar?" the the doorman downstairs. How was I supposed to
1: to know? Yeah, that
14: he, you wanted me to um, well, do that. Well, that's fair. That's fair. You know, I should have specified. How was I supposed to know? I, you're
1: absolutely right. You know? I should have specified. Poor Omar. He mentioned something the next day. You know, he's pizza deprived. Uh, he's not working today, so you don't have to have right. to make. And I sure did that.
14: actually offer the, the 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 fellow that was working downstairs uh, if he wanted a slice of pizza. He said no, but you know it when you when you want something done that day, you should tell me that you want it done that day, not you know. But how, when I sent this email on a Saturday, it, when I'm not working, by the way,
1: right? But so when I send this email, you. Why not just look at it when you are working and say, oh, Frank, when do you think would be a good idea to do a test of the connectivity of this device? Because,
14: Frank, when I'm when I'm here, it's not the only show I work on. Right. And I, you know, it's
1: that. that See, I'm again a victim of you working on multiple shows. All right. I make you a solemn promise. I'm going to make an effort to get you removed from all the other shows so that you can work solely on our program. Oh, boy. So,
14: yeah, that sure. That would just that would well, make. Was idea. there a test? What? No, there was
1: no test. Yes, yeah, exactly. What, what um, just happened? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That was bizarre. What were you gonna say, Matt? Oh no, you weren't gonna say anything. Oh, right. oh, okay. All right, eight hundred eight right, 800-848-9222. So hopefully we'll talk with Richard Wolf. If not, I have found another interesting story to tell you about. So if Richard Wolf is out there, if he's listening. Call us in twenty minutes eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Otherwise, somebody pretend to be Richard Wolf and we'll talk to you. So, um, it's interesting that we had Richard Wolf scheduled before the big news this week regarding uh, regarding minor parties. Because just so you understand my history, I try not to talk about this too much on the air because radio is my greatest passion and it's what I do for a living. But my hobby, for the better part, uh, you know, it's really since I was 14, has been politics, namely independent politics, and I've worked my whole life towards trying to build a a vibrant independent movement. Either working on behalf of specific issues like term limits, nonpartisan elections, initiative and referendum, same day voter registration, proportional representation, or working in the working on behalf of uh, different political parties. I was in the leadership for, of the Independence Party for a long time. Then Curtis Lewa and I took over the New York State Reform Party. What happened there was, uh, well, you don't need to know the whole history, but we took over the Reform Party. We lost ballot access on that. And then in there was a new party that was birthed in New York State in 2018, Called the SAM Party that stood for Serve America Movement. Now, I was a little leery of getting involved in another minor party at this point because I'd been, I'd had a negative experience. It's such a frustrating experience running these political parties. It's almost, you don't, I can't even describe it to you. It's almost like buying a boat. The two best days of any political party chairman's life are the day that he's elected and the day that he gets to leave. Because it's the worst job in the world, absolutely the worst job in the world. You, the definition of a thankless job, and you, you just I, – I mean, whatever. I'm not going to get into all my woe-is-me stories from my minor party political years. But against my better judgment, I said, you know, I like what the SAM Party's trying to do. I was a little leery because unlike all the parties that I'd been attracted to over the years, which were more populist in nature – this seemed to be a little bit more centrist establishment. But I looked over the platform and the ideals that the Sam Party believed, and I said, I believe in all those. I like those. So I signed up to be, to, you know, be a member of the Sam Party, and I came within one vote, one vote of taking over the Sam Party in New York State. Narrowly missed it. Uh, but, uh, so I controlled about half the Sam Party. Because the Board of Elections screwed me. They allowed all sorts of people that were not registered members of the Sam Party to vote in Sam Party primaries. Now, I know you're thinking, well, Frank, you're for open primaries and things like that. Why do you have a problem with that? Well, because that's not what the law says in New York. The law says you have to be a member of a party to vote in a party primary for party leadership. You understand? OK, so they allowed all these hundreds of Democrats to vote in the Sam Party primary. And this was well-documented at the time. There's a New York Post article about it and stuff. It was very big in 2020. Anyway, it doesn't end up mattering uh, because the Sam Party had some nice guys, and I would work, work well with these guys, even though we didn't fully take it over. It turned out it ended up not mattering because of this law that Andrew Cuomo instituted, which made ballot access and retaining ballot access more difficult. So the Sam Party... Lost ballot access in 2020 as well. We went to court. Didn't work out. So the SAM party still exists as a national entity at this point. And the chairman of the SAM party I've had on this show a couple of times, David Jolly, former congressman from Florida. Great guy. A guy I really admire and look up to, even though we disagree on a bunch of issues. And so the uh, that's going on on one track. And then over the course of the last seven, eight months... I have been fascinated at what Andrew Yang was doing with the forward party. And I read Andrew Yang's book forward when he left the Democratic Party. And same situation. I loved the entire forward party agenda. I wasn't ready. So I signed up for the email lists and everything. I had a lot of great conversations with a lot of the local forward party leadership I wasn't fully ready to become a member of the forward party really because there's not really much of a mechanism for becoming a member because they didn't have ballot access in New York. So it's not as if you can go and register forward party in New York state, but I loved everything they were doing. But I do have to say, I was a little annoyed that Andrew Yang has not come on the radio with me. And I don't say that because like I'm a big shot or anything like that. I I say it because I more than any radio host in the entire country have the greatest track record of promoting independent politics and minor parties. And I think if Andrew Yang's going to do any radio interviews, he should do it with me. And he never came on with me. So that always sort of soured me a little bit on the forward party. Not soured. That's the wrong word. Because I still talked with all those guys. I would uh, try to go to forward party events and things of that nature. Well, yesterday, the news comes that the forward party... And the Sam Party have merged. And so this they're now calling this the biggest third party in America, at least in terms of resources, because both of these parties have some, some money attached to them. So this is a very robust fundraising operation, unlike a lot of minor parties, which are cults of personality or organized along specific ideologies or issues. These this party has a lot of a lot of money. Uh, what they don't have at this point is any ideas. There's no real platform yet. Uh, the Reuters article says the party, which is centrist, has no specific policies yet. Says it will launch. Uh, said it it's launched yesterday. How will we solve the big issues facing America? Not left, not right. Forward. On the one hand, I kind of think. Well, I mean, I'd like to be part of a party that has some ideas. But on the other, I think, well, maybe I can help shape the agenda of the party and help move it in a more populist direction. Because the, the only thing – I love what they're doing. I don't want to make any bones about it. I absolutely love it. Because at, at the very least, I'm hoping they'll organize and fight back against some of these unconstitutional laws that involve – prohibitions against minor party and what I'll call political bigotry against independence. I love what they're doing. The thing that gives me pause is that all the figures involved in this, not all of them, but many of them are very establishment centrist people. The co-chairs of this party are Andrew Yang, Christy Todd Whitman, and, uh David Jolly. Now David Jolly is going to be on this show on August 9th. Their first show back. And I have a lot of questions for him and maybe we'll take questions from you the um callers as well. But um I kind of like a party that's a left right center populist coalition with a whole bunch of non-establishment people. Like the party that I'd love to join is a party that includes Ralph Nader, Jesse Ventura and Pat Buchanan. Nader on the left, Buchanan on the right, Ventura in the center, all driven by a populist agenda. Now, what's this party's view on trade? I don't know that they have a view. What's this party's view on foreign policy? They don't have a view. So I am hope where I am in a complete agreement with them, and it's why I may join up with these guys, where I'm in complete agreement with them is the need to reform po- the political process. And you've heard me talk about this on every issue – whether we talk crime or trade or the courts or health care or taxes, the problem with every issue in the entire country is the process. We have a political process which is garbage. It's dominated by lobbyists, special interests, brown-nosing politicians with connections, and money. And the people that have the least amount of say in our political process these days... Is the people. So until we get to a point where we fix our politics, none of that other stuff really matters. So I am looking to uh, learn more about this party, the forward party. I may look to get involved, but um, we'll see. I-, I just posted a link to the forward party sign up on um, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. If you want to uh, learn more about it, you could sign up using that link. And if you do sign up for more information, use my referral link, because if enough people sign up using my referral link, then I will get to participate in a monthly Zoom meeting with Andrew Yang. And I'll get to ask him, hey, Andrew, how come you haven't come on my, uh, on an, our show yet? So, so that's where we are. Um, if you have thoughts, questions, comments, hopes fears about the forward party, 800-848-9222, or thoughts on this Alex Barnard situation. I I just fired off a memo to our program director requesting that Alex be reassigned so that I'm not sharing him with all these other shows so that it'll allow him to focus solely on our duties on this show. But, But we'll see what happens. If Richard Wolf is not here in 10 minutes, then then I might I might send a memo inviting him only to serve on all the other shows. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Uh, Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Actually, this connects to your summary
15: about politics, because governmental shelters are highly political, nepotistic and uh, bureaucratic uh, red tape. Uh, there's very, don't get me wrong, there are good people that work there, but sometimes they get defeated by the politics of it. So what you have to do is just like with school boards, even if you volunteer one hour a week to clean a cage, you slowly get involved and you absorb the atmosphere and you realize what's going on. And, you know, you, you it's political and it's also, you know, you make friendships and, and connections and then you can make changes in the shelter. That's the way you do it, I, and um, I think that's really you know God bless that lady. She's doing a good job, but you you have to kind of use political savvy uh, to get in there and and people skills. And because you know I've run into uh, what happens is a lot of people this is their job, and for once in their life the the, the light is focused on them, and they're going to run this shelter. And don't you tell them what to do, so they get a little heady. So you've got to circumvent that, and uh, you know those of us who have lives um, in, in all different directions realize that it, it's it's for the animals. It's absolutely.
1: Not,
15: it's uh, not about your uh, ego.
1: Yeah, well, great points all, Pamela, thank you. And we have a first timer Ashton in the Bronx, one of my favorite cigars. Hello Ashton.
6: Uh, good morning good morning present good morning morning um, I call in with a commendation um first to Mr. Katz and uh, wife Margo for this forum and for you and Curtis and your 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 interaction and then that lady that used to work with you overnight I miss her, commendation to us okay
1: thank well uh, which one which lady Molly? Uh, um, Or or Juliet? Um, Who? I
6: live in Long Island. R- Ruda, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: I think that was Juliet. Juliet's a great lady. Uh, uh, right, she is right.
6: wonderful. Commendation to all of you. Enjoy your vacation. I'm going to tune in and listen to Curtis also because I think the two of you make good partnership. Well, that's very I kind of you.
1: you work. That's very kind of you, Ashton. Thank you. I also, I especially want to join you in uh, giving special recognition to. Uh, to Margot Uh She is one of the, um, and I'm not trying to be a brown noser here, she is one of the great people of all time. She's a good friend. Uh, she's a great deal of fun. She has a good heart. And more so than almost anybody I know, she really goes out of her way for people. I, I've talked about this before. When she heard that my wife bought me, a, uh, excuse me, broke my James Garfield mug, she went out and bought me another, james garfield mug now this is a woman who's running multi-million dollar charities who's got a family of her own all sorts of businesses that she's involved in a busy social calendar and she's going out and getting me a james garfield mug she didn't have to do that but that's and that's just one example she does stuff like that all the time she's really one of the most thoughtful people that i know and i think she'd be that way even if she was a pauper but uh, she's just a great lady. 800 9222 Kathy is in the East Village. Hello, Kathy.
15: Hello, Frank. Um, concerning your denouncement of Bluebell ice cream, I kind of remembered that I think it was a forensic file that I watched. This was years ago. But um, a lot of children were getting sick, and you know how they trace everything down to the couple children died. They traced it down to ice bluebell ice cream you kidding and, uh, i did not know that oh no, yeah i and i uh, some children died i mean it was a big deal because it was it's in the south i think and it, it was a very it's a very popular um ice cream so everybody was eating it and uh, i think it was listeria i don't know what was in it but it was a big deal i i don't have a computer so i can't look but yeah it was a big deal
1: that, that that's terrible kathy so i guess what you're saying is if you don't want your child to die, don't give them bluebell ice cream. That's good advice. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 Daniel is in Queens. Hello, Daniel.
11: Good morning, good evening. You good morning. were talking about um Yang and the forward party. Yes. I was kind of on that vibe too. I I was been on the lookout obviously since the um the election from uh last decade. Um and I also is I'm impressed with um Andrew's wife, Evelyn, I think she's a powerful, you know, voice in her own right, too. And I was already a, a Garcia voter for mayor. And when they did the, hey, let's do one, two, I was into, you know, doing that. So I did place Yang, um, too. And just the way that he was being treated by some local media in New York made me like him more, kind of. And um, also, too, culturally I think Yang, you know, he stood up for Chappelle when all the mad white liberals were trying to knock him and lie about him and stuff like that. And I feel like that's important because Democrats now, like, attack all our cultural favorites the way that Republicans did back in the other millennium.
1: Yeah, well said, Daniel. Uh, Well said. Hey, uh, email me. We'll stay in touch. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted on any third party events that I'm hosting, Okay. All right. Email me Frank at wabcradio.com. Alex is in Brooklyn. Hello,
8: Alex. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. I think the issue with Andrew Yank having his own party is that the Republicans are going to hold against him the fact that he ran as a Democrat, and it's always going to be something that's going to be mentioned. You know, when whenever he runs for anything, or someone, or his party is, is trying to do something, and the Democrats are going to say he ran as a Republican for president, so he's. he's
1: both you mean ways, as a Democrat for president?
8: He ran as a uh, he ran as a Democrat for president. Right. Oh, so he ran both as a mayor and president as a Democrat. Correct. Oh, so then I got that wrong. But I also wanted to ask you. Two days ago, you I heard you mention my name and some other callers, and you're talking about a meeting that we have, and we should be inviting Joseph to that meeting. How did you know about that meeting?
1: <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. No, what I was saying was, I don't remember which caller it was, but it was a caller that was talking about himself. And, you know, my my beef with Chris from the Catskills, who's actually a pretty nice guy, and uh, he texts me all the time now, and I, I actually have come to like Chris and the Catskills, shockingly. Um, as annoying as he is, but uh, Chris and the Catskills and Alex Barnard and that guy Joseph, whatever the issue is that we're talking about, they will somehow always find a way to make it about them, right? So if there's a baseball score, if there's a baseball game, you know, a hey, uh, you see that baseball game last night? You ask Chris and the Catskills, Chris will say, Well, you know, I went to a baseball game one time. You wouldn't believe what happened. I was invited to throw out the first pitch because I was a former elected official. They brought me out there, and uh, I was supposed to do this, and then this happened. And then that's kind of the vibe. And I'm teasing Alex Barnard a little bit because he gets so upset when he's teased that he doesn't really necessarily belong in their category. But I think if they had meetings, those three guys, they would all just talk about themselves. It would be a very interesting meeting to observe not for anybody other than the three of them but it would be interesting Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 we may have located richard wolf which comes as a great relief to alex barnard who was one flaming email away from uh clipping coupons on a daily Why don't basis you just
12: apologize
1: Hey, I'll tell you what we do before we get to Richard Wolf. uh, We're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000. If you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 9222. And if you can do that, we will go ahead and give you $1,000. Richard Wolf joins me straight ahead.
0: It's.
1: This is Selena Gomez singing Wolves. Uh, I'll tell you, very apropos that we have Richard Wolf on for this song, I have developed a whole newfound respect for Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez is not someone that I knew anything about. And uh, other than that, she dated that other pop star. Was it Justin Bieber? Justin Bieber. And I didn't know anything about her. Didn't care much about her. I had nothing against her. But... I had an experience this week which has totally changed my view of Selena Gomez, and I am now a fan. In about 20 minutes, I'm going to tell you what that experience was. But first, it is time for...
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank.
1: Marano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. I'm looking forward to seeing you in that softball game tomorrow. I hope you know how to play softball because we are in for a long game. Alex is in Brooklyn. Uh, Alex, hello. Hello. I
8: was just down with you. I remember. Um, yes, I,
1: I remember it well. Yeah, and
8: I. I do know how to spell cat, so I figured I'd try this game. All right, well, let's give a it a
1: shot, Alex. Alex, how old are you? Um, 25. 25, great. Right in the heart of our Target demo. So uh, uh, men 25, 54, you know, that's, that's right in the prime age range of folks that are need we need listening to this show. And you listen every day, right?
8: I listen whenever I'm up at this time of the day.
1: Okay, all right, fair it's enough.
8: Now in the summer more frequently yeah. well, than it was in the winter.
1: Wow, do you have a seasonal job that involves you sleeping during the winter?
8: I'm no, um, just on vacation upstate now.
1: Good, okay, all right. All right, you know how the game's played, right? Yep. Okay. How many cents are in a quarter? 25. How many sides does a Pentagon have? Five. Where am I going on vacation next week?
8: I would say Florida. Florida.
1: No, I, I just said that I was going to Cape May, Alex. You listen like our Alex listens.
8: Well, I was calling in.
1: Oh, I, fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm putting you back on hold. Uh, give, uh, give Kenneth your information, and uh, we'll give you a consolation prize for you to wear on vacation. All right. Hey, I have been very eager to talk uh, with Richard Wolfe ever since I first found out about the Forward Party. He is the former mayor of East Amwell Township, New Jersey, and the founder, or at least one of the founders, of the New Jersey Moderate Party. Kind enough to join us early this morning. Uh, Richard or Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So um, what exactly is the New Jersey Moderate Party? Well, the moderate party
9: is a response to the polarization between our two major parties. And basically, it is designed to be a home for the vast majority of the voters these days who feel that their major party no longer represents their values. It's become too extreme. And we are looking to identify and support and ultimately try to get elected moderate candidates.
1: Now, um, why do you think a – I think there are a lot of voters, some Democrats, some Republicans, some independent that view themselves as moderates. But why do you think uh, having a separate party, the moderate party, is a better vehicle to have a moderating influence on electoral politics instead of working within the two major parties, for instance, the Democrat and the Republican Party?
9: Well, interestingly, that's what we're trying to do. In other words, unlike typical third parties that run their own candidates, we're not looking to do that, at least not now. What we're looking to do is through a concept called fusion voting, fuse with one of the two major parties that's running a candidate closer to the center, a moderate candidate.
1: So this is really interesting, and I, I'm very familiar with this, having been a lifelong New York resident. This goes on all the time here, but we do have listeners all over the country and some in Canada that may be less familiar with this concept. If you're – explain – I understand it, but I'm going to ask you to explain it to folks. If you're a separate party, what is the value of endorsing a candidate that's running as a Democrat or a Republican?
9: Well, what we'd be looking to do is – get implemented in New Jersey fusion voting, which was legal in New Jersey prior to the 1920s. The two major parties didn't like it and they had the law changed in the 1920s to in effect prohibit fusion voting. But basically fusion voting allows a single candidate to run on the ballot as the candidate of more than one party. So let's assume that there's a Republican candidate and a Democratic candidate running for a particular office, and the moderate party determines that the Democratic candidate is far more moderate. We would support that moderate candidate, so that moderate candidate would now appear on the ballot as the candidate of the Democratic party and the moderate party. And people who did not want to vote for a Democrat, but who liked this candidate, could vote for this candidate by checking the moderate party. So, for example, a Republican, and I am a Republican, may not want to vote for a Democrat by checking the Democratic box on the ballot. They don't want to support the Democratic party. They feel the Democratic party is too far to the left. Well, that Republican can that Republican voter is now currently left with 3 choices. Vote for the candidate by checking the Democratic box. Well, the Republican doesn't want to do that. They could vote for the Republican candidate, but they don't like the Republican candidate. The Republican candidate is too far to the right, or they don't vote at all. And our concern is that a lot of voters will choose option three and not vote at all. With the moderate party and fusion voting, we would be giving the voters of New Jersey a fourth choice. Vote for the Democratic candidate under the moderate party line on the ballot. Now you're not supporting the Democratic party and you're sending a message to both parties, the Republican party and the Democratic party, that you support moderate candidates. That's the big difference between the moderate party and what I'll call your typical third party.
1: In New York, for instance, for many years we had the uh, Liberal Party and uh, Republicans that running for office in New York City. Republicans like Rudy Giuliani, for instance, John Lindsay, they were very eager to get that liberal party endorsement because there were a lot of Democratic voters in New York City that would never, ever vote for um, vote on the Republican label. But they would pull the ballot for a liberal party candidate. It's, I guess, in some respects, the same principle in terms of what you're trying to do out there.
9: It's it's exactly that principle, except. We're focusing on moderate candidates. We're going to try to draw both parties closer to the center by basically developing a base of what I call homeless voters, Mm -hmm. and there are many of them, and then having that base vote on the moderate party line for moderate party candidates, whether they're Republicans or Democrats.
1: Got it. Got it. Makes sense. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Richard Wolf. He's one of the founders of the New Jersey Moderate Party. The first candidate that the New Jersey moderate party has endorsed is an incumbent Democrat running for re-election this year. Most people think that he and his opponent are both pretty moderate. He, The candidate that you've endorsed is Tom Malinowski. He's running, I, I believe, against Tom Kane Jr. What's so uh, special about Tom Malinowski? What makes him a good fit for the moderate party?
9: Uh, he's a moderate, and he... Uh, his views align very closely with the views of the moderate party. Uh, I've had personal experience with Congressman Malinowski a number of times in my capacity as mayor of East Amwell Township. I've gone to him for help. If he wanted to play this politically, he would have let me fall on my face. I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat. Why should he support or help a Republican mayor? But to my surprise, not only has he helped me when I came to him, with issues, but he threw the full support of his staff behind these issues. There was no partisanship. He did what was right for the people who voted him into office, and I developed a great deal of respect Got it. for Congressman Malinowski.
1: Now, the as you mentioned, uh, New Jersey prohibits fusion voting. So, what you've done is you have gone to court, and uh, you're seeking to, even though the New Jersey law. Says That this is prohibited. You're going to court saying that this should be permitted Uh, since this is prohibited specifically under New Jersey law. Why would you go to state court rather than federal court? And in a nutshell, what is the legal argument as to why the New Jersey law is uh, unconstitutional?
9: Well, we brought in a team of lawyers with great expertise in this area. I'm a lawyer, but I'm a tax lawyer, so I don't profess to have great expertise. But uh, we are challenging the New Jersey law under the New Jersey Constitution. And the New Jersey Constitution protects individual rights greater than the federal Constitution. And we are claiming that the prohibition on fusion voting violates the New Jersey Constitution in a number of respects.
1: And um, okay, so we'll, we'll see. What is the status of that legal case at this point?
9: We filed with the appellate division in New Jersey, which is the level below the New Jersey Supreme Court. That's where we have to start. We have to file briefs at that level. And then we are going to move to have the case taken up directly by the New Jersey Supreme Court. So we're hoping to go directly to the New Jersey Supreme Court in the not-too-distant future.
1: Okay, and um, do we have an idea of the timetable of which the appellate court will make that decision?
9: We don't. It's within their discretion to a large extent. At this point, we're at the mercy of the court's. We're hoping that the courts recognize that this is a very important issue for New Jersey, and they handle it on an expedited basis, but that's really within the control of the courts. Our goal is to try to get this resolved sooner rather than later, but this is one, our one chance to fix the problem we perceive in New Jersey, so we want to do it right. And if that means we have to sacrifice speed for quality, So be it, because we want to do this right.
1: Now, I am wishing you the best because I find all of these state laws against fusion really outrageous, uh, to be honest. So I wish I hope that what you're doing is a model for not only New Jersey, but other other states around the country. Couple of quick questions, though. One of the people Who helped organize the effort to create the new party is Sue Waltman, the executive director of the New Jersey Working Families Alliance. Now, in New York and in Connecticut and other places where the Working Families Party exists, it's an ultra left wing group now. Could the byproduct of your success here, because I can see a lot of the moderates listening to this conversation now cheering you on, saying, yes, yes, that's what we need, a more moderating voice in politics, picking the more moderate candidate of the people running. But could, if you're successful, would this allow the Working Families Party in New Jersey to get a ballot line that would enable them to drag the New Jersey Democratic Party pretty far to the left? as they've done in New York. Well,
9: I'm actually glad that you mentioned Sue Altman, and this is the first time that's come up in any discussions that I've had with the media. Uh, I was introduced to Sue because I was looking to try to find people who really understood the rules and the dynamics in New Jersey. I had an idea, but I didn't really know how to implement that idea. When I was introduced to Sue, I had assumed that she and I would be butting heads I'm a Republican, I'm a relatively conservative Republican. She's a Democrat and is known as being very liberal. However, the two of us are in complete agreement about wanting to draw the far left and the far right closer to the center. Both of us recognize the damage that the extremists are doing to our political process and the country. And so Sue and I have worked really well together because we do share the same view. So I don't really have that concern, at least in New Jersey, of working families trying to draw the Democratic Party or the Republican Party far to the left. That hasn't been my experience with Sue thus far
1: at all. All right, well, we will certainly see what happens. One of the, and I, I've been involved in the minor party realm in New York for many years, and one of the frequent complaints In all of the minor parties in New York is that the fusion voting tends to corrupt the minor parties that because of an interest in, say, uh, patronage or having a voice at the table with uh, people that are likely to win, that uh, the conservative party maybe endorses candidates that aren't necessarily that conservative. The independence party endorses candidates that aren't so independent, so on and so forth. Are you concerned uh, that by choosing to primarily endorse existing candidates that are running in other parties rather than running your own, uh, your own candidates that the moderate party, if you're successful, could one day be um, in the same situation where that cross-endorsement becomes a, such a, a valuable tool that's so coveted by major party politicians that a lot of the ideals that the moderate party was founded upon – tend to get left by the wayside?
9: Any Anything in life that starts out as a good idea with good intentions can ultimately be corrupted. So I, I can't argue with the concept that ultimately the moderate party and its ideals could be corrupted. The goal would be to have people running the moderate party who truly believe in the objective that moderation is good for the country, and that's how we move things forward, that the political process should be give and take and not my way or no way, and that elected officials are public servants and not out to just further their own agenda or the agenda of their large donors. So, yes, could the moderate party concept be corrupted at some point? I can't argue with that. But If the right people are running the moderate party and we stick to our ideals, I think the moderate party could do really good things in New Jersey and really make a very big difference in our political process and hopefully spread to other states.
1: Finally, I'm sure you've seen the news this week that the Forward Party, which was led by Andrew Yang, is partnering with the Sam Party and uh, it's going to be co-chaired by Andrew Yang, Christy Todd Whitman, and former congressman David Jolly. Do you view that as a uh, as a positive development for the independent political movement and how do you think the moderate party might uh, might play into that whole situation?
9: Well, I've had conversations with David Jolly. In fact, once upon a time David worked at my law firm. Uh, So I understand what the forward party is trying to achieve. It was a merger of three parties. Uh, I am intrigued by what they're looking to do. Um, They certainly will be different from most third parties in that they are going to focus on the center. I think they have very significant support at this point. Uh, I believe they will be a very well-funded organization. And now is the right time for choice because Americans are fed up with the two major parties. They recognize the political system is broken. So I wish the forward party all the best. I hope they are very successful. Whether the moderate party at some point would have involvement with the forward party, I don't know. Right now we're focused on our mission which is to get fusion voting legalized in New Jersey. We feel that's the best path forward for New Jersey voters. But what will happen in the future? I don't know. We'll see.
1: We will see indeed. Please keep us posted. Best of luck. And uh, I think uh, New Jersey will be a better place politically if you're successful in uh, getting this uh, this ban on fusion voting uh undone and uh, it's really such a shame that so many states have similar prohibitions best of luck to you mr wolf
9: thank you for having me frank have a good day
1: thank you 800-848-9222 15 seconds of fame coming up 1-800-848-9222 three open lines now's the time
0: it's the other side of midnight with frank morano
1: All right, we're gonna do fifteen seconds of fame momentarily. Hey, uh, Matt Plays, you don't think Kate May was too difficult to question in that thousand-dollar minute, do you? Got it.
13: No, because you talked about
1: it. Right. I mean, several times.
13: Yeah. If you talk yeah. about something, I mean, you know, during the show we're right. doing right now. Yeah. Okay. That's right, that's, not, that's sure. not an unfair question.
1: Exactly. All right. I want to thank um, Donna. I believe this is Donna in Huntington. Uh, Donna sent me twenty-five dollars via PayPal. Because she knows that my debit card is missing and my American Express card is not yet uh, it arrived yet. But, it, again, the problem is not that I have no money. The problem is that I don't have a way of spending it. So I still can't access the $25 that she sent me. I'm still in the same position. So I appreciate the thought, Donna, but you, you could cancel that transaction. I don't need the money. Got Plenty of money. Not plenty, but, I mean, enough to pay a parking attendant.
3: Hey, Frank, somebody called in before and said that you could use your driver's license and go to your bank and get money out with your driver's license.
1: Ah, but here's the problem. There's not a branch of my bank uh... in Manhattan. So I would have to find a way to get to, like, Brooklyn or Staten Island or Jersey, get back here, get use the money that I've received, and... Give it to the parking attendant. It's not going to work. Hey, real quick, just because I mentioned this. This week, my wife and I saw the film A Rainy Day in New York. Now, this is a Woody Allen film that was – it was the number – it was, I think, probably one of Woody's only number one films in the world. But it was number one in May or June of 2020 when all the movie theaters were closed. (laughs) It got – it got so the film was completed in 2018, but its distributor, Amazon Studios, halted its release following the Me Too movement and the resurgence of sexual abuse allegations against Woody Allen. And uh, I finally got around to seeing it. If it got released ultimately, even though it was delayed, it stars Timothy Chalamet as a uh, basically the the Woody Allen character. What if if Woody, if this was 40 years ago, Woody would play that role himself. And a Jude Law is in it. He's very good. Timothy Chalamet, he's in everything now. You kind of, he's good in everything. Leave Schreiber is in it. He's great. But I have to tell you, now the story itself is pretty similar to almost every Woody Allen movie. But I like the f- kind of formulaic Woody Allen romantic comedy. So if you like most of Woody's work, I think you'll like this picture. I have to tell you, the. Performance that steals the show in this picture, Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez as one of the, she's not the female lead, but I would say she's the second female lead. She's outstanding. I said to my wife in the middle of the, the film, I said, she's terrific. And my, my wife said, yeah. I had no idea that she was this good of an actress. She is phenomenal in this picture. But um, it's a really, it's funny. I got a big kick out of it. It's a cute story, and um, it's a really a love letter to New York. If, uh, I've decided that what I most want to see in films is scenes depicting New York. I want to see a film that says, oh, I hang out there, I go there. And you see plenty of that in this. It's beautifully shot, a beautiful soundtrack, and some terrific performances. All right, it's time for
0: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15
1: Seconds of Fame! fame! Joe and Ron Konkama. I wish you a very nice vacation, relax
11: with your family, and enjoy the weather.
1: Thank you, Joe. Mike in New Jersey.
11: Morning, Frank. Frank, your daily schedule sounds so exhausting that I have to take a nap. A great vacation for you and the family in Cape May. There's nothing like a child's first experience with beach sand.
1: (laughs) Mike in the Poconos.
11: Hey, Frank! Always a good show. <clears throat> Have a good vacation and uh, softball. Flash that big glove, flash the leather first base, and a shout out to Giuseppe from Al
1: Allen Manhattan.
10: Hey, Frank! Wishing you and the family a happy, safe trip. Renew, recharge, and relax.
1: Victor in Manhattan.
5: Uh, Maisie Hirona, the senator from Hawaii, is currently undergoing a series of 10 facial beauty treatments. She's already finished nine of the treatments. Boy, that
1: 10th treatment must really be a pimp. (laughs) And Mike in Neptune.
16: Yeah, I met Ernest Hemingway in 1951, and he gave me the bill to a swordfish
4: that was 18 feet long.
1: All right. Uh, Hey, uh, different strokes for different folks. Hey, I'll see you in uh, a week and a few days. Frank Moreno, good day.